You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, where it's season 11, episode 15. I'm John, I'm your host for this evening, and tonight... We've got a bit of a slightly different take on the podcast. So quite often the media focuses on the central belt, where your likes are your Glasgow teams, your Edinburgh teams. Well, this one's going to be a bit different. We're going to the home of the VNA, home of Desperate Dan, home of Dundee Soul, and the home of the Phoenix. We're going to Dundee. So we have two guests returning from the Premiership preview. Uh, I'm going to go for alphabetical order in terms of teams to make it fair. So, first up, we have Ethan from Dundee. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you back on. How you doing? Yeah, no, I've been, uh, been great lately. Uh, I mean, off, off the park as well. It's been good, good personally. Uh, a lot of the uh, experiences uh, on the pitch with in terms of it, in regards to Dundee, how, how it's going, just mediocre thus far, hoping for more positive results. Aye, aye. Aye, we'll see what you're about. Ideal time to change things, maybe at the weekend. Well, that's something I said to my uh, my friends, actually. I said, there's no better game to really kickstart and get going, get the ball rolling, as, as to say, than the derby. We've got everything back and uh, everyone backing you on, that attacking initiative that, you know, do or die, go for it. Yeah, yep. You can't, can't go hiding in a derby, so that, that might be just the perfect occasion to, to really kickstart the season, get up and going. Definitely, and across the road, uh, and it's not often you can say that about any football match, but across the road we have Jeff, Dundee United fan, how you doing? Yeah, that's a bad mate, that's a bad yourself. Yeah, I could, I, yeah, um, it's an interesting one, I've been an Aberdeen fan, I've been on like a Dundee fan, Dundee United fan, but I think this should be, should no be tension. good. No tension whatsoever. <laughs> I, I'm mutual, I'm completely <laughs> mutual here, I'm, I'm like, so, I, in terms of how you're doing, in terms of how you're feeling about the, the game, very briefly, or season uh, even so far. Mixed bag, to be fair. Like got, I've been at all but one, uh, two games this season, and yeah, the tension for us to score a goal is getting ridiculous now. <laughs> I, to be honest, you're in good company because what's a goal? Like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, it's been a while, it's been a while. Nah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's still, a, it's, in my opinion, it's still too early to really read too much into this season. You know, we've got four clubs at the minute on three points, so yeah, it's, it's difficult to read into the season, but. We're sitting with seven, which is out of the first three games when it's pulled out the heart of Aberdeen Rangers and heart, uh, Hearts to pick up three points is probably more than I think most of us expected, anyway, to say the least. Aye, and maybe even probably potentially got them in the wrong way that you would have expected to get them as well. Yeah, the way the three points came from was not the game that <laughs> anyone was expecting the three points to come from, but it's a nice, it's a nice little even present pair. So, you know, what, what more can we say? Aye, I think in terms of like your point about you don't really get to tell until maybe about 10 games into the season. You get a rough idea maybe mm-hmm. what you're like or once you've played everyone. I think. Yeah. I mean, well, look yeah. at St. Johnson. St. Johnson last season, most successful season in their history. I'm sure it was uh, play 10, lost 7. Yeah. So, you know, a poor start doesn't necessarily mean you've... They say beginners you mean to go on, but that's not always the case. Well, exactly. I think, actually, I've seen you make that point um, on Twitter from the... Dens Park Choir. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that actually. But yeah, they, they, and St. Johnson again this season, notorious slow starters, but it'll be no surprise, I still pick up these top six. 
I know they've lost Kerr and um, McCann, but I think actually the replacements. Ali Crawford at this level should slot in pretty well if he repeats what he did at Hamilton. I don't know much about the, the guys that have replaced uh, Kerr in defence, but... Effie Ambrose. <laughs> well, there is Effie Ambrose. We know about him, but they've they signed about three centre-backs. They signed, is it Boy Muller on loan, yeah, I think? Yeah. Um, well, they gave away the penalty the weekend, didn't they? Um, uh, and uh, Dendonka as well. Yeah, uh, I got the brother, so who knows? But I still think it'll be all right. But we're not here to talk about St. Johnson, are we? Uh, <laughs> so, how does it feel when the build up to a uh, Dundee derby? Um, strange, really, to be honest. It's, it's kind of a bit mental because, like you say, it's not really overly done in the papers, really, till a few days beforehand. That, Gets a bit exciting, but um, for me personally, I spend the entire week treading it. I'm not going to lie. I am terrible at derbies. Honestly, I, see before like a drink, I was even worse. But yeah, I spend the week. I'll go from like Monday when we're going to get pumped to Tuesday, we're going to absolutely do them. Yeah, Wednesday will be a draw. It's just, yeah, honestly, so the day that the kickoff comes around and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. And then, um, yeah, so it's not, I'm brutal for it. I'm, I'm like on a swing. <laughs> I up and down like a yo-yo and I take it on the day of the game is it the old nervous, the nervous visits to the, the little boys room? Uh, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> depends, what, depends what's consumed before before mentioned. Uh, is it? But yeah, this one, it will, this one won't be so bad. They've got to drive quite- and back. It's quite quite a funny thing, though, isn't it? Usually, um, if you look at the history between the two Dundee clubs, um, it's kind of like a, a yin and yang. When Dundee are doing well, United aren't. When United are doing well, Dundee aren't. So usually when the derbies come, you expect it to be a matter of, all right, United are doing well, they'll be the more confident side. But in this particular occasion, I think both sets of fans are they're both dreading and buzzing at the prospect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like... So I was going to say, what I was going to say is, since the signing, the signing of Lee Griffiths was the one that threw me a wee bit because I was like, whoa, because I still remember in his two free kicks against England, I'm like, ah, oh, no way, man, no way. And then the more time I've had to think about it, what well, I'm thinking to myself, like, it just does not make sense the signing of him. Not, not so much on Dundee's side, it makes sense for Dundee, but it just it, it says probably more about Southampton than it does Dundee that they've given him an extension of a year and then within weeks farmed him out on loan, and then the thought of that dressing room would give me the fear. Like, the thought of Cummins, <laughs> Griffiths. Sheridan. Sheridan. <laughs> there's going to be plenty of banter in that dressing room anyway. There's no problem with banter in there. There'll be no tactical advice given out of that dressing room whatsoever. <laughs> like, it's just going to be people jogging in shoes. It's just, this is all it's going to be. It's going to be nothing like else whatsoever. Primary school it's classroom, a... like stuff chucked on the board. And... Aye. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. Going to be, it's the kind of guys that'll just be constantly chapping the James at Pake will be like, right, that's Sheridan chap the door, why am I not playing? And then Griffiths will be chapping the door, why am I not playing? And then Cummins, why am I not playing? Oh, oh, he's, yeah. he's got a headache every week now because he's he's improved the squad so much since he first arrived and he came in with it with a clean slate, and now the depth is so it's so much and there's so much quality but we, we've got headaches thinking who's gonna play every week. I mean, the big headache we've got for the Derby specifically is uh who'd we play in midfield? Not so much who'd we play up front. And I think now we're going to get an idea of it'll most likely be Griffiths and perhaps Griffiths and Cummings together. But Griffiths looks like he's getting the the, the priority, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
but with with midfield three, we've got young Max Anderson, who's been sensational, at least in the past two games. He's been great prospect past uh, two seasons. Sean Byrne, who you expect to see in the team sheet every week. Paul McGowan, who lives for these kinds of games. Yeah, and John yeah. McGee, who's such a big game player for us. So it's, again, plenty of headaches to decide who. And even Finley, Finley Robertson, who had an exceptional yeah. game in the derby, uh, in the one all that was the last derby he played, finds himself all of a sudden kind of on the, more of the fringes of the squad. And he, potentially he might be drafted into the squad for, for Sunday based on how well he can handle the big occasion. And of course, just the kind of player he is. Charlie had a big miss. Do you think Charlie Adams is a big miss or does it give you more energy in midfield that could actually help you in a way? It's, yeah, it's a bit like, a, it's it's not too much of a step back, but there's nothing really step forward. It's a, bit, a really big sidestep uh, where we'll lose creativity, we gain more energy in the midfield, I feel. Like with between McGee and Anderson, they can cover every blade of grass in the middle of the park, but we do, all of a sudden don't have that quality of... Uh, of uh, the, the breakdown passes, you know, to yeah. split through the defence. Yeah, yeah. I think Paul McGowan is your closest for having that kind of ability in his locker. But again, you're asking Paul McGowan to do the job of Charlie Adam. So it's a bit, you know, it's never good. You can't replace Charlie. So I think really when you, in terms of personnel, you, it, when, when he's out, you kind of change the game plan because it has to, it really just swings around uh, him in some, in some phases of play. I think, Charlie Adam not being there for you guys is probably more obviously like you say the creativity is obviously a big thing but I think his kind of his leadership role I know we obviously we were just talking about like the mentalness of that that dressing room but you kind of think a lot of the players that we mentioned are incredibly uh, emotionally charged shall we say and uh, I think Charlie Adam's leadership of being at the top level he's a calming influence you've seen it last year when you guys were on Few bad spells, his influence on the rest of the team to get people's heads down and keep at it. Him no being there, I think will have an impact because Griffiths, when Griffiths wants to be, can not necessarily be a common influence, that's a complete wrong description, but, but he's got that mentality of winning. Whereas with Cummins, he's kind of a bit more lightning rodish. I remember when he, he was at Hibs and he got sent off at Tanadice for punching the ball in the back of the net, but absolutely no, absolutely no need whatsoever that like he didn't need to do it. And you kind of like if the if the if the, if the chips are down and you are backs against the wall, who's who else in that team's going to have the um, the calm and the calmness to put everyone up and grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck? And I think losing Charlie Adam, I think he's that player for Dundee in particular. That can do that. I know you've got obviously McGowan, but everyone knows how charged he. <laughs> if, if, his head, if his head goes, the very the very it's a very fair point, but instantly the, the two responses that come to mind is being that uh, when we had Graham Dorrance, we had this prospect of Dorrance and Adam playing in the field together. You know, I think in between them it was something like over three hundred English Premier League appearances and three hundred yards but, covered in a game. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when when Dorrance left, uh, you know, the, the media take was, "Oh, Dundee have lost a key player that might uh, make them struggle in their push for promotion." But the reality was um, it caused us a change of system, which benefited us because we had so much midfield depth that we could bring this whole new system to to life. Um, So really it it actually helped us balance our squad a lot more. In Charlie's case, he's definitely a miss. He is 100% a miss. But when you talk about leadership, um, when I was doing the commentary on Saturday against Livingston, I said to my co-host, Stephen Stephen Dixon, that uh, if you look at that Dundee lineup alone, there's quite a lot of... um, 
what's what's the word I'm looking for here? Like just leadership qualities amongst the different players. I mean, I think Lee, I'm not sure if Lee Ashcroft was the official captain at Dunfermline, but he certainly had the armband on occasions. Paul McGowan's had the armband for us at occasions. Cammy Kerr used to be vice captain. Jordan McGee was captain at uh, Falkirk. Uh, and there was a couple more in there. I mean, I'm just kind of going off by memory here. And I, I remember thinking that he was, McPake has a certain criteria for signing players. All kind of seem to tick the same boxes and leadership seemed to be quite a common one as well. I, I remember that the most notable one was Ross Call- uh, Callaghan. At the time, he was uh, formerly captain of Wraith Rovers. Uh-huh. And I want to say he was captain of someone else, but I can't. Didn't that you, you might have worn the armband for County last season. I think I might be wrong. So if, if I am, someone don't tweet me. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you've, you've, you've got a point like that. He has, but I think the difference between them and Charlie Adam is that Charlie Adam's obviously got the experience at the, at the top level today. Yeah. But I think you've made a valid point on the Graham Dolan's one because I remember watching, I was at the, at the, the derby at Tanadice where I think it was a 1 1 draw, the one you referenced. Yeah, and he just signed on loan, I think, from Rangers. And I'll, I'll be honest, he was pretty crap in that game, if I'm totally honest with you. And from my point of view, and I don't, it kind of annoys me a wee bit. I find it, um, I'm not going to be a journalist, so I don't have to worry about saying this, but it is lazy journalism. Like they look at a big name of a boy that's been at a Rangers, Celtic, English Premier League, whatever it may be. And instantly, if he loses from a team further down the divisions that's not Rangers, Celtic, people are, oh, they've lost a the key player. Like, oh, the reality was, like, like, he ended up going across to Australia. He did semi all right in Australia. Now he's at Dunfermline, and he's not a straight up first choice in Dunfermline. Mm-hmm. And he like he wasn't a great loss to Dundee. If anything, like, a, like he slowed you down in midfield. Like yeah, he can do a brilliant pass, but there's no point in doing the brilliant pass if there's a no one there to collect the pass, or b you're not in a particularly great position to, to break up from it. Yeah. But you're not going to have world class, well, rapid wingers on the sides every every week. Um, so now I think you're right, and I think it, obviously it brings back to the, the build up to Dundee derbies. Is obviously Charlie Adams a big big loss. Yeah. Um, for United, we've only really got a couple of players that are questionable, really. Um, obviously, Louis Baird went off just before halftime uh, at the weekend. That's going to be a little bit concerning. But I think off the top of my head, Benji is back in training. But we've got a backup in the form of Northern Ireland International who played. Um, Played at the week uh, last week, so <laughs> swings around about. Um, Joe Carson is as good as Benji, but uh, still a very good goalkeeper, though. Yeah, yeah, he's still one that you wouldn't you, you trust. <laughs> um, but the, the fear for United has been. I was at the game at the weekend, and Peter Paul had three or four open cut chances to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them, I think, is only just descended from the sky. Uh, the, the one shot that he put into air, into air. Um, so that's a bit of concern on the striking front I mean Mark McNulty I've never overly been sold on him personally I know he's got capabilities it's been shown in the past but he's really really inconsistent we've seen it last season and then we've got the Finnish boy whose name I'm not going to pronounce because I'll, we'll, we'll get cancelled um, so <laughs> I saw him at the weekend. He looked good, but we signed Rodney Snyder once and he played in a friendly and looked good. He then played 45 minutes against Aberdeen and was never seen again. So <laughs> seeing someone good for 45 minutes at the United is not always the best. <laughs> See, just, just going back to, P- 
back to Peter Pollock, maybe in January you can sign McGinn and Hayes off of us and get the band together. Get Adam Rooney yeah. as well there and you'll be, you'll be sorted. I like Peter Pollock, right? And I lived in England for a long period of time, hence the reason my accent's a bit weird. But Peter Pollock still sounds like he lives in a hall and he's lived just outside Aberdeen since he was eight years old. That's impressive. Like, <laughs> He's, he's not very he's not very popular amongst Dundee fans, and it's not really to do with his his United uh, career. Um, so he's he's one that I think every Dundee fan's going to be like you know heart racing when he's on the ball. Uh, not not because of what he can do with the ball, but more to do with you know just the flopping on the deck and. Uh, oh, well, the the the, it's because he's quick. It's because he's quick, yeah, and he gets clipped easily. That's what that's the that was the, the thing oh. that used to be said about him. Yeah, oh, but the, the story, oh, the story no. with Dundee was, was I, you'll know that being an Aberdeen fan, that the dive yeah, that yeah, sent yeah. Dundee down. He definitely, I, he's, uh, he does go down a bit easily. Uh-huh. Well, um, but that's, that's, always a, that's always a thing that's accused as like, he used to have a lot of pieces, don't get quite the same pace, but it was like any slightest a touch and he would go he's, down. Yeah. He's got really good close control, which is something that we obviously, we want to see more players have that close, good close control because Obviously, Dundee have got Paul McMullen. Paul McMullen's close control uh, doesn't exist. Uh, and Lyle's crossing the ball, but he's rapid, whereas Peter Pollock can, can control the ball fantastically. But um, then, like, takes about a week to start up. It's maybe worth noting that the, the Paul McMullen at Dundee is a completely different player now to the Paul McMullen he was at United. I think you'll, Still, you'll be getting that stick from a lot of Dundee fans already, but his close control, when, when I've been commenting over him, it's been you know, up to a very good standard. Is, and his final final delivery again. He's got, I think he's on uh, twenty assists already, like overall since signing. He's just been absolutely on fire, and he's actually the name. Um, I think there'll be a lot of media focus around. Time kickoff does happen because when's when's the last time there's been a player that's crossroads and then played in the derby? Uh, Dixon. I was trying. Obviously, there's been a few. Is that obviously Paul Dixon? Um, I forgot the other guy's name that moved across at the same time. But, Dixon's the last one I can remember being like. But Dixon's the only one I can remember being any. Um, I mean, there was uh, who was before that, that Scott Scott Robertson, I think maybe before that he went he it. went across at the same time. Him and Paul Dixon signed on the yeah. same day. Yeah, Robertson never played against us in the derby. I don't think though. He's not playing uh, the derby. Uh, no, he was constantly in, on the treatment table. <laughs> uh, Lee, Lee Mayer. <laughs> there was tension with Lee Mayer, but I don't think he ever played a derby against Dundee either. Whereas Dixon, there was the tension because he uh, played against us plenty of times. I can't think of the last player. Who mean, crossed the road and then played in the derbies? Craig Curran played like played for us, crossed the road, but never played against United. Yeah. So that's there's nothing. And plus, yeah, I don't think United, United, fans, United fans are not going to be raging that he crossed the road. Like. <laughs> that just comes down to then systems in terms of the, the way that Dundee play was different to how Dundee United played, and he gets more maybe freedom to express himself. Um, I think it could more be the manager. To be honest with you, I think last season Mickey Mellon when he had Paul Mullen. Paul Mullen had a reputation up to that point of being good in the championship, but never really being particularly good in his chances he had in the top flight. And Mickey Mellon's style was not an overly attacking style, as we can all remember. And um, I think McMullen, he'd had, under Robbie Nielsen, he'd had sort of, uh, so under Shatter, what a guy, uh, <laughs> he was starting to fall further and further down the peck and all of them. You could see he was not going to get many chances. Robbie Nielsen came in, he had a sort of a, a revival, but he didn't really have a consistently sitting in the squad. Uh, and I think when Mickey Mellon came in, we were in the top flight. McMullen well, already had a reputation for not necessarily being a top quite uh, a top flight quality player. I think letting him go on to Dundee was a good idea. 
once it was announced he was going to create, sign a pre contract with Dundee, they're letting him on loan. I don't think any United fans are going to hold it against him. I don't overly think many United fans are going to. I'll say this, right, in complete naivety, but I don't think many United fans are really hold it against him going to Dundee and making a semi decent attempt for himself. Um, because he was never going to get that chance at United, realistically. And if he, if he has a good season for Dundee, maybe people, uh, like this season, maybe people will change their viewpoint on it. But for me personally, I honestly don't think many United fans expected him to do as well as he's doing so far in the top flight, if that makes sense. I know right to... six games and we'll wait till two o'clock on Sunday. For that I'll, make, I'll, make an on that. <laughs> I'll make a very honest <laughs> confession. I'll make a very honest confession. When it was announced he signed the pre-contract, or at least when it was announced that we were in talks to pre-contract, I was sitting there thinking, I don't, wouldn't want to see him play for us. Uh, it was just, I, I didn't particularly think he was the, the kind of player we were needing. And he proved me completely wrong. You know, that was my push shot, like, instantly. Um, I think, yeah, I think Mellon's style certainly didn't, didn't suit him. And I remember Mickey Mellon did say in an interview, uh, pardon me, in regards that he actually did want to keep McMullen around. And I think his reasoning was he couldn't really fit him in right now because he's waiting to try and get more points on the board. You know, he's looking for security yeah. before he can take more risks in games. And I have some United fan friends that said to me that he just hates wingers. Yeah, um, and I th- I thought I thought he was also rejecting uh, Louis Appert, but I think that was actually more down to an injury. I'm assuming um, the Louis Appert thing was a worry, particularly for a lot of United fans because the season obviously beforehand he'd been fairly phenomenal, mm-hmm. and it did seem like he was being pushed further back. I've got this theory that Mickey Mellon just does not believe in attacking the ball because even his Tramia side this season does not seem overly keen on winning by any more than one goal. Um, the Louis Appert one was a bit of a it was a concern because he kind of thought that you were just trampling on his potential for the sake of it uh, especially with the sign of McNulty that kind of cemented this theory that maybe he's now dropped down to third choice at least and he's only ever playing one up front uh, so for, for Paul McMullen as well like I said there was a bit of reservations before and this form as you, you will possibly see does it does it does waver quite a lot. It's not really consistent over the season. I hope for the boys' sake it, it turns I and mean, he gets his, this time he takes the opportunity with both hands. His he's, form's good. He started this season very well. He's already got about. Uh, you, you need to ch- check uh, George Cran's Twitter from the Union Telegraph. Um, he's on about six or seven assists already. He's just continued what he's carried off. He's been pretty pretty good consistent uh, consistency for us. But I, I do want to circle back to uh, a comment you made. I was quite surprised to hear you said that about the, the issue with, with the striking. I'm generally quite surprised to hear that because I, I'm, I'm quite the admirer of both Nicky Clark and Mark McNulty um, as, as individuals. I feel Clark's a very intelligent striker and McNulty, he's, all, he's already proven himself. At, um, it was Hebs, Livingston, and I think he had a good spell down south. It wasn't for uh, Reading, it was the team before Coventry. At Coventry, he was, a, he was uh, in amongst yeah. the goals. So, so two, two strikers, I think, will can do the job for you. Know, is it just a case of perhaps just not uh, got got the service yet? So far this season, right, we've it's not been through lack of creating chances. We have been creating chances. The problem is when we've been bad, we've been atrocious. And the game at the weekend, the strikers I think could have been playing there till probably next month and not score. Peter Paulett was the one who had three clear chances, near enough. Put one, let's say, into orbit. Uh, Louis Appert went off injured on the follow through of a shot 
it, don't get me wrong, it was good defender by St. Mendes, so I can't really say it, it, was, it wasn't it wasn't through terrible finishing, it was just good defending. He went off, which is a big concern. The thing is, both Clark and McNaughty want to be in the same position up front, and it kind of nullifies the gap between them in midfield, if that makes sense. So you get Peter Paul as your kind of your, your, um, your feeder, but the boy that we got on loan from Man United, Dylan Leviat, I think that's how you Levitt. Say. Hi, Levitt. Levitt. He looks really good. He didn't play, he played for the second half of the weekend because he obviously played for Wales. Um, he looks like he might be the solution to allowing those two strikers to get the opportunity. The problem is, Nicky Clark has done really well. Last season, I'd argue he was best. He was the best striker that we had at the club, realistically. I mean, Shankland obviously takes all the, all the plaudits, but Clark was an unsung hero, to say the least. Uh, the thing is, Nicky Clark is now... Uh, he's pushing on later in his career. Louis Appert looks like the best we've got through the academy at the minute coming through in that sort of position. And Mark McNulty, I think he overthinks a lot of people in the form that he just does not... He goes through really, he goes through hot spells. And when he was at Coventry, he was fantastic. One of my cousins is a Coventry City season ticket holder. He was blown away with him and Coventry bid in for him, but due to their mental off-field issues at the time and those stadiums, they they were never getting anywhere near it. Um, he, I know he's obviously got some off-field issues that obviously we can't go into too deeply. I think that sometimes plays on his, I'm not saying it plays on his mind, but it sometimes seems to be like there's an extra something almost holding them back sometimes if that makes sense mm-hmm. see on in terms of that see as a neutral looking at both Dundee and Dundee United if you're to look at just now in terms of who's got more goals in the team it's definitely Dundee I don't think Dundee United Clark and McNulty are decent right Clark's never been totally prolific in the Premiership I think up until was it not last season he'd not even scored in the Premiership yeah, it went to the last season. If I recall, and McNulty, is good, but McNulty's more, I would say, a type of guy that will run the channels. He's not your, he's not your goal scorer as such. And I don't, you don't get as many goal scorers now. Whereas you look at Dundee, we talk about Mavericks. Okay, Griffiths, Cummins, Sheridan, they're all a bit maybe off the field, considered a bit kind of slightly loopy. But you kind of want that wee bit of loopiness in your team because... They'll give you that something different. There's plenty of examples you can turn to that are just just like that. I mean, Wayne Rooney is the one that stands out. It was lunatic off the pitch, then on the pitch, complete goal scoring genius. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would agree with the, with the statement. Certainly, we play a very well attacking uh, style of play. Uh, it's definitely going to be a really good competition on Sunday for sure I'm generally quite excited like in a in a neutral from my mind just to see how the two teams combat against one another can uh, you do that look at the game as a neutral when you're a fan uh, well because I do the, the commentary is when I do the commentary I try to think really impartial like I want yes. to be as neutral as I possibly can you can there's obviously more excitement in my voice when, when Dundee scored <laughs> compared to others but thing is there was a, a game a game last season where we uh, we chucked away a three goal lead Within 12 minutes, Dunfermline scored in the last minute. And if you listen to my commentary, it sounds like I'm buzzing for Dunfermline because I, I've I tried <laughs> to keep this neutral state of mind. Good, uh, right, good. I'm commenting. But I'm, I'm not on the comms on, on Sunday. I'll be with the, the fans for a change. Um, I simply just can't resist <laughs> for the for the derby games. So Complete neutrality. Listen to Falkirk FC's 
fuck up TV and their commentary. <laughs> that's, that's that's where you get complete neutrality. I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> I'll watch the highlights of when they played Queen's Park and Queen's Park, uh, Simon Murray, of all people, uh, sco- scored a free kick and <laughs> it's completely neutral and that goes in. <laughs> and plus anyone who's listening, go watch that clip. Worth it. We've had Rory Hamilton for some of the Aberdeen games and that's like as good as you can get in terms of being neutral because he's obviously got no allegiances to Aberdeen, so he's been good. Plus, he's one of the best in the business. Yes, I like Rory Hamilton. I, I, I used to love the uh, SPFL highlights on YouTube. He used to commentate all the games. I used to love that. Yep. I was gutted when they stopped doing it. Um, see, see, on the flip side, though, when we, if we say Dundee have got more firepower, I would say defensively, Dundee United have probably got the edge. Yeah, I think... Fair. It's fair. United, I think, proved they were very sturdy last season, defensively speaking. I think Segris played a huge uh, part in that. I think he, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but did he actually win United's Player of the Year award from last season? Uh, he, yeah, he did, yeah. Um, yeah. To be honest, we lost at the weekend. Uh, Ryan Edwards went off and was limping for the last 10 minutes, and Mark Connolly came on, uh, which is a little bit of a concern, but I don't. I think they'll be fine by the weekend. Um, but I think at the weekend, what we're going to see is we're going to United are brilliant on the counter attack. We've seen it against Rangers. Like we can break pretty quick. Mark McNulty, as much as I've actually, I'm not going to get, I'm not getting a slagging, but Mark McNulty, we've seen it last season. I think it was a goal against Hamilton. I think there was one against Aberdeen in the cup. Uh, oh, don't really, don't remind me of that. <laughs> he's really good on the break, and that's what he's his strength. I think is on the break. Like so he runs the channels really well. And when you get a break, he is a force. United, yeah, he's a good graft. United, we've seen it this season. Uh, the two teams, the teams that we tried to, I'm going to say play against. That's probably not the right word. We tried to play attacking, fantastic football against Aberdeen and got picked off. We kind of tried to do the same against Hearts in the first half, and it just did not. It just didn't work, and we got beat. The two teams that we sat, we, I'm not going to say we sat too deep, but we concentrated more on the defensive. Forte against Rangers, Nick got the win. I'm not going to say Nick the win, he deserved it in the end. But we got the win against Rangers by sitting, not so, not so much deeper, but allowing them to have the ball more and then catching and breaking quick. With the likes of Fuchs in the middle, I said that right, and Butcher, we, we've got the two two plays ideally designed for that, but it doesn't, it all depends on what kind of, like what he kind of does. I think if you sit slightly deeper and allow the, 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 the deep attacking forces to come at United we might be in a bit shockingly in a little bit more of a situation but the thing is is that paradise and I don't think the fans are going to sit there and live, uh, willingly accept 45 minutes 90 minutes of sitting off Dundee waiting for you to waiting for, waiting for, the, waiting for us to get a break if that makes sense yeah well in regards to Dundee's defence I, I will say if you looked at Dundee's story last season it was quite a funny one because it looked like in terms of personnel it was the starting lineup in the back that all the fans were wanting. And then the issue was it was, yeah, still quite leaky, leaking really cheap goals as well. But pardon me. Sorry, I'm drinking a Pepsi, Pepsi instead of a water. For oh, you, you, can't talk, you can't give sponsorship wow. to... Other cooks are available. Aye, yeah. So we'll just, we'll just believe that. I'm drinking, I'm drinking a video drink into that water. Uh, <laughs> Cancel gear and normal gear is also... Uh, plugging. <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, <clears throat> the partnership we had in central defence against Livingston was one I really enjoyed. And Stephen said to me as well, that looks like a really solid partnership we've got. Uh, we signed Ryan Sweeney 
who I think was an Irish uh, youth internationalist. He used to be at Stoke at the same time as Charlie Adam. We got him from Mansfield, and he looks like he's been quite quite the solid capture. And again, Lee Ashcroft, our player of the year last season, between the two of them, they looked fabulous. Kerr, Marshall, Legs, Legston's especially been brilliant. Like, I think you're not going to find a Dundee fan that's not going to talk highly of him. He's been such a difference since he's came in. I've, I've seen quite a few in agreement that they felt if we had Jason Cummings and uh, Legsdens at the start of last season, then that gap we had with Hearts would be either would be either much much more title uh, tighter, or we might have had a genuine shot of uh, getting the, getting the title for ourselves. And uh, yeah, because if you look at our our form from last season, as soon as Legsdens came in, that's when that's that's the difference. That business end of the season where we just picked up and got into the playoffs and won the playoffs. I think at the very very start of that is when you see it's. The, the change of goalkeeper and what he can bring to the team. Um, so defensively speaking, there might still be issues with with leaking goals, but I'm not. It's nothing that I'm worth sweating about at the moment. I generally feel quite comfortable at, uh, at the time of uh, writing or the type uh, time of saying it anyway, which usually means it's going to come back and bite me in the ass. We're going to get the <laughs> six two Sunday. Um, but no, I'm actually I'm I'm very optimistic. Uh, for Dundee's fortunes going into Sunday, and with a neutral frame of mind, just seeing how Ashcroft and Sweeney do, you know, hold up against the likes of McNulty and Clark, and vice versa when Lee Griffiths and Jason Cummings and Paul McMullen are running after uh, Ryan Edwards and Charlie Mulgrew, <laughs> who we've not mentioned by the way. I think Mulgrew is one of the, the danger men for United, even in attack. Set set to always score direct from a corner. That's what do. Direct from a corner is that before or after Paul McMullen scores and kisses a badge? Oh, that'll be that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he is, if he if he scores, and I've I've used this uh, I use this word heavily. He's going to be a complete and utter rat about it. You can just tell. You can just tell. <laughs> that's what you want, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, what you want in a way. We're, we're overdue. Nice. To be fair, I mean, oh, United got uh, Billy Dodds to do all that. He was Dundee badge kisser goes off to United. He's going against us, kissing their badge and giving it. To be fair, that's him. that's after we kissed Aberdeen's badge as well. To be fair, aye, I think he's kissed every badge, aye. Uh, nah, it, it, it will be interesting to see. Like, like Charlie McGrew has, um, he's been solid at the back for us. That like, genuinely has been solid at the back. Uh, losing, um, lose it. Who did we lose the other day? I forgot name. Uh, Robson, Jamie Robson, the other, the other week. That I think's gonna be a difficult place to fill. To be honest, we got McManin, obviously from Hamilton. He looked at the weekend. He looked. Pretty good, to be honest. Um, well, I say pretty good. He looks solid. That's it's a nil nil draw. It's not too much. He didn't get beat. Put it that way. Uh, I know that we were after him for quite a wee while. I know that there are other sides after him as well. So to get him across the line as a replacement is it's it's not too much of a worry. Like I say, the, the fear is going to be. I think the, the fear for us is going to be that front three slash four that Dundee have got look on paper. And we said this about Hearts last season. I think people said last season Hearts is back by four on paper look arguably one of the best in, in Scottish football. But on paper, Dundee's one does look quite fearful. But we've all, with all due respect to both Dundee and Dundee United, these players, especially Cummins and Griffiths, wouldn't be at Dundee if there wasn't some sort of issue behind the scenes or some sort of issue with their form, for example. And Griffiths, I know he played at the weekend. I've seen the highlights. He obviously... Ethan knows a lot, watched it a lot closer than I did. Um, I think United, I think this derby's come 
probably the right time to not have to worry too much about Griffiths because I don't think he's at this precise moment in time fully firing. See if it, this game was coming in six weeks' time, I'd probably be a bit more fearful uh, because he'd be a lot more match fit. See on that though, does a derby not just adrenaline takes you through the game anyway? Yeah, yeah. well, he's been in a few derbies over the week. <laughs> He's done um, well. He scores against Rangers. He scores against Hearts. He's got the knack for it. And his record, specifically, it's done United is actually really good. I think I the only thing he scored more against than United is um, Ross County. Nah. Something along the way. You do like it because you might even just get, like, I don't know, 60, 70 minutes out of Griffiths, but you're all right because you can put on Sheridan maybe and just yeah. hold oh, the ball he's, off. He's he's something a bit different. Something. He's fit. I think. Uh, if we didn't have Charlie McGrew in the back line, I'd be a bit more feared. But I think with Charlie McGrew knows him quite obviously quite well as a player. He's played at Scotland with him. I think he played at Celtic with him. He might have left just before he got there. Um, McGrew, I'm confident in the fact that got McGrew. If McGrew was, wasn't there and we were left with all due respect to centre-backs from, previous, from last season, I'd be a lot more indebted to Benji than I, <laughs> than I think we will need to be this weekend. Like I say, it's only a theory from my side. He's not really played much football at all. As I said at the start, it kind of says more about Celtic than it does say about Dundee that he got the move. Although I think people are going to start questioning how he got the move to Dundee, especially with Gordon Strachan. Gordon, I don't think that. I, I don't think that is the direction. But I like no. to, I like to spread that conspiracy theory, so I'm going to spread that conspiracy theory. <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, both being that nice to each other with teams. I'm thinking, is I this know. a derby? Because yeah. you're, you're both all like confident. Okay, this, this isn't like normal. Uh, I'm rolling up the sleeves of Arsies like they're all being like, <laughs> <laughs> no one can uh, see it, but he is. He's... Uh, nah, it's, it's more like a case of like, I, I don't really like signing up those teams for the sake of it. And also, to be fair, it, I was at Dens when we got relegated, and that was thoroughly depressing. So <laughs> I'm not gonna sit here and then big uh, and be like, oh, we're gonna absolutely smash him because at the end of the day, like it's gonna come back and bite me in the ass at some point or another in the next few weeks. But I will say, since Twitter was invented, Dundee have not won at Tanadice. So ah, that gives me a true. bit of that gives me a bit of cheerfulness. Yeah, our um, our last victory was uh, 2004. Um, Steve Lovell and John Sutton scoring for Dundee on the occasion. And what one other fact again that United fans can take uh, into joy is if you look at United's. Uh, Clean, oh, what's the one look for Dundee, Dundee's clean sheet record in the derby it's absolutely horrific like I don't think we've kept the clean sheet against United since about 2003 maybe maybe longer it's it's generally shambolic always wow. always concede goals and in regards to Griffiths my feeling on Griffiths right now is he's I think he's physically fit but it's the match you know the match the sharpness that he's lacking it's it's the actual games of football to get him into the into form essentially into like the same way that if you don't go to the gym for a long time you can't lift weights the same way it's just that that general kind of form um his fitness i think yeah i think he's up to speed he looked he looked he played the full minutes against livingston and he looked fine um and yeah no definitely definitely going to be a, a key player for us this season and in regards to the the move as well I get the feeling that he worked really hard to get that extension to begin with then whatever happens happens so i don't want him anymore I think had he not signed that extension at Celtic anyway, McPake would have been in his ear saying, well, listen, come here, we'll take you in. Because it's, uh, I think that a lot of the, the, two, the two main factors in this move uh, was, number one, he's a former player, knows the place, fond memories. Um, I, I'd even go as far and say there's, there's affection for the club there. Um, he's, he's never been shy of, of saying that either. You've know, been the time of where he's kissing the badge one day, he's back at Den's other games watching us. Uh, and refusing to celebrate against us as well. One of those 
very um, sort of things you notice. You'll score an absolute screamer and you'll just hands up, walk away whilst everyone, all the Celtic teammates are jumping on him, going going crazy. Um, and his, his relationship with McPake is key. And Dave McKay, I reckon, as well. Dave McKay, James McPake, Lee Griffiths came through in the same setup with Lee, uh, Lee Griffiths at Livingston alongside uh, Murray Davidson, Andy Halliday, and I think maybe Wotherspoon as well. I think there's quite quite a few notable Arfield. names. Arfield's Falkirk, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's me. And, uh, <laughs> see, on the point of Griffiths and McPake, I thought as soon as the playoff final was done and there was a wee phone call, yeah. I thought if he leave Celtic, and I thought he might go to Aberdeen at one point. I thought if we had gone in for him, I reckon he might have come because he would have felt maybe I say he might have won trophies. We've not won a, we've only won one trophy in bloody far too long, 26 years. But I think he would have felt he would have been in a better position. However, that relationship, as you say, with McFake is yeah. key. And then January, you're going to get Snodgrass as well, aren't you? Well, I was just about to say, you've reminded me that when I said I forgot, it was Snodgrass. It was, Aye, it was Snoddy. Um, <laughs> he was in the phone. Remember, he was in the phone as well to make Pete. Pete was yeah. calling all his pals. Like, I, right, okay. And Doran's already played that? for us as well. He's already signing all, all his mates. Oh, um, I don't think it's Snodgrass. Snodgrass. Oh, Doran's. Doran's not going to be as well. I'm missing them all. <laughs> <laughs> but with, in, in, yeah, that relationship he's got together, it's not just through Livingston as well, but it was quite well documented at Hibs that he was the like his mentor, the big brother to keep him out of, of trouble when he was doing daft stuff off the pitch, mm-hmm. keeping him under his wing, keeping him in control. And uh, they, had, they had a good Hibs team as well in that period, making the cup final, albeit they got, they got smashed. Um, I don't know much more of their accomplishments from the top of my head, but I, I remember thinking that Hibs team were, were really sharp, really good. Yep. Um, I think it was at the time when Ben Williams was the goalkeeper as well. That's kind of year I can I can remember it. Um, I remember them playing us in the semi-final at Hamden and the controversial goal. But, yeah. Uh-huh. Quite the band of reprobates I've done the end of it. <laughs> Quite the band. Um, yeah. but, well, but that gives you that, that gives you that dressing room that is a wee bit, I don't know, crazy guy in Wimbledon style. Yeah. It'll, it'll, if folk, the younger folk won't maybe know that reference. Yeah. <laughs> there is a I don't know that and I know the guy that wrote it cheers <laughs> <laughs> um, Ethan <laughs> never mind um, no that, that, that Dundee dressing room that is mental see if you get Snodgrass in it as well jeez oh man in a, in, a, in another life I am an Aston Villa season ticket holder <laughs> and I remember when it was at Villa and everyone wanted him back up to and include last season uh, he's at West Brom at the minute, obviously, and I don't know if anyone watched. Yeah, his ability to cross a ball and put it into the danger zone is phenomenal. I think we all remember from the games when he's played for Scotland and how he is a miss when he wasn't playing for Scotland. Yep. His ability to deliver a ball into the middle of the park is phenomenal. If Dundee sign him, it is a genuine scoop that I, I know for the fact that the guy's really fit. I know he's, he had an AC, I think it was an ACL he had at the end of last season, which dropped him out of the team. But you literally just speak to any fans of any team he's ever played for, even if it was a long period, like it was a bit of a season. He is absolutely adored by the fans still. Yeah. And he, I think, would be a great one. But also, I do know he's mental off the field. <laughs> well, for my, for my money, so, he, was, well, he was Scotland's best player. He was Scotland's best player for a period, right about when Strachan was the manager. And Griffiths wasn't really getting a look in. I thought them two were going to be the, the key to get us into the World Cup. And I think Strachan realised it a little too late. When he started playing Griffiths, he was scoring the goals against England and Slovenia. 
again, all, all too late if I had that early in the campaign because we said that we were lacking goals and we kept playing Stephen Fletcher who couldn't, wasn't able to put his finishing boots on for, for some reason. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's think... entirely speculation in regards to Snodgrass. Not really got much to do with the... Um, when he turns up at town, well, like, oh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's not played this season. He's recovering from injury. He, he, he must have a fair bit of cash. Like, the, the, I, like you heard it here first on the podcast. As long as McFake's still manager, that's the disclaimer. I've already done a scoop for the podcast, so you know what, what can I say? Uh, on my Liam, Liam Scales scoop. Four weeks you d- you did, you did exactly, and everyone was like, "What?" They were, most of us were not too sure. But I was like, "Yourself," and I think some of the Celtic, and the Celtic fan maybe had a, maybe an idea it might happen, but you were convinced, definitely. Aye. Um, he also did an interview in Irish, which I still find funny. But um, <laughs> nah, if uh, Robert Snodgrass is, if he if he, if he signs for any Scottish club realistically outside Celtic Rangers, he will be a, a, a massive asset to, to any of the clubs. He played one game so far this season when West Brom got pumped six 0 by Arsenal in the League Cup. Oh, in which, yeah, the Cup high. I think he will. I think he's he. Someone might need to correct me. I think he's thirty four. Yeah, thirty three, thirty four ish, and um, every other player around him was at least ten years younger than him. <laughs> so that made me feel old. <laughs> another another talking point for Sunday as well is the the battle in midfield. The the two I'm really excited to see go toe to toe specifically is, is Sean Byrne and Yando Fuchs. Fifty fifty. Exactly. That'll be a fifty fifty. You'll hear back in Aberdeen that that will be some crunching challenge. Fuchs are you fifty fifties now, mind you? The fifty fifties are banned, are they not? Tackling's banned, pretty much. True. Well, True. look when I watched Yando Fuchs play, I think he's a really really good player. He, what he, the description I had from in my head is that's Glenn Kamara from Wish. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's Barry McKay. He's Jack Grealish off Wish. Um, nah, he um, he is. I, I'll be honest. I'm surprised he's still at United. I honestly didn't think he was going to go in the close win in the uh, in the close season. He it, he is really good. I think that this weekend I'm looking forward to seeing him because he's he's lifted his game quite clearly when we play the bigger sides. So I think in the derby, he'll, he'll lift the game. And we've seen since the fans have been back, he was going into crunching tackles last season. And obviously there's no one to go, woo. And then without that woo, he, he sort of got up from the challenge and just sort of carried on. Whereas this what was season, that noise? What was that noise? Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, we've seen it this season. He's gone into a few, especially against Rangers. And people were cheering every time he did the 50-50 or put the challenge in. And you see him, and you can see he almost close six inches with each one of them. So, yeah, watching him, it's a bit of, I'll be honest, it's a bit of a shame Charlie Adams not playing because I'd like to see him slam into Charlie Adams, if I'm totally honest, just because I want to see what happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, I'm looking forward to seeing. It gives me a little bit of the fear in the fact that he, he does try to do, in my opinion, maybe one or two steps, two more that he doesn't need to do every so often. Mm-hmm. And he'll win the ball back lose the ball and then tries to win it back again instead of putting the pass off and with Callum Butcher next to him who equally loves to do a good challenge uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see who he puts in next to Fuchs because if it's Divin Livet I think we'll be a lot more attacking minded and that might put us at risk if he puts Butcher in we're probably not going to be half as attacking but 
you do know that there will be some interesting Derby Day challenges. See, in the midfield, <laughs> Harks is one that's always intrigued me, right? Because I've not seen, I don't see loads of Dundee United, right? But times I do see him, he does look as if he's pretty decent on the ball. But uh, is he one of those players that is decent on the ball, but kind of doesn't do much with it? If that makes sense. He's, he's tidy, he's tidy, but he's he's not productive. Yeah, he scored a screamer against Dundee in the 6-2 game. Um, Reflection. <laughs> oh, barely travel before it hits off Foster's big bald head. He's got a screamer. Um, nah, he, he's always confused me a wee bit because I, I quite like him as a player because he's a little bit different to the, the sort of player we normally get in Scotland. So he isn't sort of like a meat and potatoes player. He's a lot more almost continental despite the fact he's from America. And he... I think sometimes he gets an unfair slagging off people. I don't think he's as bad as some people make him up to be. I've quite liked it when I've seen him play, like, but yeah. I've seen him get I've seen him get a fair bit of stick online and stuff like that. I've I've not seen him play so much in the premiership. In the championship, he, he certainly he never looked out of his depth or anything. He looked quite comfortable in the championship. In the premiership, I have no idea if it's a different story. I, I I did hear something though that apparently he's meant to be like the fittest in the team by an absolute mile. Yeah, he's I can't remember when I heard that, but yeah, because he did the, I think he did a scholarship in America before coming to United. Yeah, he, um, him and Charlie Adam are like, eh, not Charlie Adam, sorry, Charlie McGrew, literally go head to head in most of the, the fitness challenges, are like right at the end all the time. He is really physically fit. I think he is more suited to when we played in the Robbie Nielsen in the slightly more attacking kind of lineup. I think it's not to say Mickey Mellon. This, way of playing football is wrong. He achieved what he needed to achieve and that can't be more than that. But I don't think, I think Parks is one of those players that would be much more suited to a more attacking-minded manager if, that, if you catch my drift. I think he prefers getting the ball and spraying the passes around. But don't get me wrong, a lot of his passes do not necessarily go where he's tried to spray them. But he is not the sort of player that you rely on when it's a battle, if you know what I mean. He, he isn't a uh, Callum Butcher, for example, who will just put the foot in, or a Fuchs who will put the foot in. He's a lot more refined. He does do tackles. I've seen him once or twice. Um, I've, he does do it, but he isn't so much a he isn't so much a box to box player. He's more of a halfway line the the, the box. A quarterback passes as someone cleverly makes it. <laughs> too, cl- um, maybe too cliche with him being American, but yeah, he, he has that type. Uh, do all the cliches, you know. That's what Adam. That's what Adam was described as as well. The the prospect yeah. of him just playing the long balls for McMullen and McCowan all day. It's just quarterback, the perfect word. And that's that's something I've forgot to mention as well is the the threat of Luke McCowan too. If we've got McCowan and McMullen on on both sides, it's just trying to hit United with much with as much pace as we possibly can. I uh, I think United. We've got to. Like, I can't vouch for how fast McMahon is. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm not too sure how fast he is. Um. But we've got Sporter, who is not short of pace at all, who, if he gets the opportunity, will run as well. We've seen the goal against, obviously, Rangers. Sporter does, uh, plays a major role in that, in the break. Uh, the problem for United is the fullbacks. If Liam Smith and uh, Sporter or McMahon often have a bad habit of not necessarily coming back as quick as you want them to come back. So we'll go on a break and then often... If there's a counter-attack, whilst we're on the break, you'll see that the fullbacks are not necessarily back in position. And against, in particular, Paul McMullen, that's going to be a fear because 
United should know really well how fast he is. He is rapid and does not stop. He will go through the stand. like He just doesn't stop running. I think that's going to be an interesting battle because I think in the, the centre-halves that we have are all big, tall, strong centre-halves. So as the ball gets crossed in, no qualms whatsoever with them heading that ball away all day long. But yeah, it's going to be the full-backs that are the issue. Uh, I think that's going to be a worry. Well, the, so, the twi- oops, sorry. Where are you going? Where are you going, Ethan? Where are you going? I was just going to say that, just to revert, revert back to the Twitter page earlier, you, you, you tweeted... Um, What's the are, you know, the best memories that we've all got from the Dundee Derbies? And I was going to comment, but I thought, well, maybe save that for the the podcast. I was just wondering if that's something. Like aye, that. aye, I definitely we're definitely going to cover it. I just before we do that though, I just want to know everyone was hyped about the Edinburgh Derby, thinking it'd be goals galore. We've seen what happened. Now, now, this game has potential to be goals galore, but is it a cancel? Is it a possibility? Dundee's attack. Dundee United's defence and it just ends up being now now as well. Yeah. Very quickly, prediction you, for the score, Ethan. Score. I'll, I'll quickly add on that the if you were to look at the last no no Dundee Derby, I think if it goes back as the early nineties, it's always goals galore. My <laughs> head, my head tells me two all draw. Both teams right, will be okay. up for it, and it'll be it'll be a stalemate. United will get to keep this little paradise who do record a bit longer. My heart, however, says no chance. We're winning two, three nil, like Mon the <laughs> In this case, I'm I'm going with my head on this. Set okay, okay, uh, Jeff. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, the two two draw is actually probably quite a reasonable estimation because that's usually what it ends up as these days. But uh, no, I think United will probably do this one two one. I, I think United have got Dundee will attack. I think United have got the capability to break break on them. And Tancourt is quite a big fan of a one nil scoreline. So, especially at home. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. I think United will nick it. But ask me tomorrow at the end of Well, so we agree that will definitely be a good game of football. I think so. I think, I think, think, it I think it's going to be a cracking game. I recommend everyone watches the midfield. Uh, I think the midfield battle will be intoxicating, if I'm totally honest. Um, I think the, the back lines of both teams will probably counteract each other eventually, but I think the midfield battle will be Really, really interesting place to watch. Um, right, okay. So, yeah, you touched on the Twitter um, chat earlier. So, one favourite memory of the Dundee Derby, Ethan? Let me take this. Well, there's, there's a very obvious answer. To that. <laughs> um, uh, I've never, I have never seen a stadium go as wild when uh, Craig White hit the back, didn't it? Back in 2016, that was that, and, and I think it was the fact that we went into this game with all the type thinking we're going to do it, we're, we're going to send them down. Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a classic. We're going to every corner of the stadium will be dark blue because they're they're not going to have the that little corner of the main stand. They, they weren't feeling so confident for it. And then as soon as we went that goal down as well, we just kind of thought, oh no, here we go. Like this is just like Dundee's typical written all over it. Um, but. Never even, although I initially panicked, the atmosphere in the stadium kind of reminiscent to what we had in the 2011 and our what we call the defiant season when we had that points deduction and we had to battle back in a 25 game run. Uh, it was a case of like when it was shite, when it was shit passing or when something went wrong. There was no moaning, there was no like aggression towards the players. It was all positive, it was encouragement. You, they wanted to keep going because they understood that it was kind of do or die. And it was very reminiscent in that game there 
that as soon as we went to go down, it was that same energy. It was no, don't give up, keep going till the end. And then, of course, right, right at the death, um, yeah, Craig White and off the post. So that's, I think, by far my favourite memory. Although the Elbak Tawi screamer from a few years back as well lives in the memory, rent free. Aye. Jeff? Uh, what? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I should have come off from that. <laughs> We're going to be petty. Uh, nah. Um, I think for most United fans of a certain vintage, not my vintage, I should add, a vintage past my vintage, uh, it's obviously going to be winning the league at Dens or slash one of the many League Cups at Dens. Um, but personally for me, there are two that stick out. One was the 6-2 victory, probably the Christmas Day one because uh, the New Year's Eve one, a uh, New Year's Day one, um, for a variety of reasons, mostly alcohol related. But um, but one of my favourite ones was the first one. The first ones I went to was in two thousand and two, I think it was, and I remember the game distinctly because Mark Wilson made his debut, <laughs> uh, and we won one nil at Tannadice. It was a genuinely uh, sorry two nil at Tannadice. It's a genuinely amazing game. But yeah, the six two uh, in the Premiership, multiple reasons. One, Dundee's. Uh, goalkeeper who was it Carl Leffern at the time had gone out on the I'm not going to say he went out steaming because you know I can't believe it but he'd been alcoholed and he came back and wasn't fit to play so they put in a Polish keeper who made one appearance for Dundee oh no 6-1 their 6-2 victory and the best bit about it is we went 1-0 down <laughs> so that, which game was that sorry? the 6-2 New 6-2 oh, alright yeah no Kyle, Kyle Leathern was going to start and he got uh, injured in the warm-up. Scott Bain oh, was already uh, injured. And then it was Arvid Schenk. And he was, yeah, a gentleman that was signed on the back of uh, Lukatan Kulic, a recommendation of Paul Hartley. And never played uh, for us again. Uh, yeah, I, he did I, disappear. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. That, that game, I don't know. Honestly, that game, we went 1-0 down and I was sitting there thinking, like, you know when you go 1-0 down in your derby and you're sitting there shaking your head thinking to yourself, well, what, the, what are we doing in this game? Well, honestly, what's going on? And then before you know it, you're five one up. <laughs> it's a complete better game. Um, but I that was mostly because the Gary McKay Stephen goal was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal from the edge of the box. Absolutely sand it in. I would say the other day, Chief two one because apparently uh, someone stuck his leg their leg in his mouth. That's what I heard. And I was very clear watching that game, and someone stuck their leg in Nadia's mouth, and that was out of order in my opinion. But uh, yeah, the six two game is absolutely. It's definitely up there. Like I said, there's, United winning at Dens, we usually win silverware. Got relegated once, I suppose. But yeah, winning the league at Dens is definitely probably for most United fans, I'd argue, is the best one. Because you can still watch the game now on YouTube and you can see the lob, and that's mm-hmm. what a way to win a league. <laughs> cool. I know, I think we're all excited about the game, definitely. Uh, as a neutral, I think I draw as well. That's just sitting in the fence um, there. Now, we mentioned earlier about. Dundee and Dundee United are obviously the two closest teams in Scotland, and maybe even further afield. It's hard to get anyone closer. Another thing that's pretty close is your two boys. So, Manscaped, obviously, we have a partnership with them, uk.manscaped.com, 20% and free shipping off any product, including the lawnmower 4.0. You can use it in the dark, you can use it in the shower, it's waterproof, and yeah, it keeps you trim and tidy. So, who would be the biggest Manscaped champion at Dundee? 
as in who's got more to shave or who's the bit best? Well, who's more likely to use the landscape? Who's most likely to use it? <laughs> so the question Come is, who, Come so the question is uh, I don't know. I think Paul McGowan's probably a bit of a dirty bastard, to be honest. <laughs> Doesn't, he doesn't keep his own his, his top hair, hair in check, so that, he's probably my bit. There's probably like an island somewhere as well. Right, okay, Paul McGowan, okay. Um, over at uh, Tanadice, who would be the, the most likely to use Manscaped at Dundee United? Can it be Charlie? Because Charlie's too... He's, I mean, and Charlie's groomed, obviously, but uh-huh. I, I get the idea that Charlie will be a, a hairy man. Uh, Charlie's lazy, let's be honest. No, um, it'll be Ian Hart, so I imagine he'll definitely be a fan of it. He can't afford right, to get okay. his surgery. <laughs> okay, right, so I we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll we'll give them a wee shout, see if they want the discount code and they can they can get involved. Look it, look it. Uh, if, if so, yeah. I've just heard what I've said there, he's chapping at my door tomorrow. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna be at the derby anymore. <laughs> well let them know I SFF podcast, capital letters, UK.manscaped for uh, dot com and they can I fill our boots, so to speak. Um so we Brilliant on the Dundee Derby, like um, loving that. I suppose we should ta- chat a wee bit about other stuff. Um, Austria, Scotland was obviously a big one, great result, and we now know exactly what we need to do to qualify for the playoffs. Three wins, that's three games, that's it, it's done. How straightforward, but we're <laughs> Scotland, but we're Scotland, <laughs> yeah. The performance against Austria, um, I don't think it was as shocking. Shock I don't mean shocking as in it was a terrible performance. I mean as shocking as in the amount of people that seemed to be shocked that we put that performance together. I yeah. don't think it was as shocking as people made that out to be. We clearly knew we were capable of doing it. We've done it against England. We got the goal this time. Uh, I fully think that it probably just run down the hill. I'm totally honest. We can, I think we should take a lot more, take a lot more praise for it than, than we have done so far. The Moldova game, uh, I think people were irritated by the fact that we didn't score more than just the one goal. But at the mm. end of the day, it, it wasn't through lack of trying. Uh, yeah. We could clearly see what the players were doing. And it was the same in Austria. We knew it was host- hostile environment. Like that. I've been to Austria a few times and they can be hostile. Um, they were certainly hostile at the end of the game with the players, like when you've seen them remonstrating, uh, which I mean, is good, for, great from our point of view to see. Yeah, it was, it was great. It's, I think people just don't, I think there's a certain number of people in Scotland who want, who never seem happy if Scotland succeed. And it annoys me endlessly mm-hmm. when people just... We were terrible for 20-odd years. And you can tell me, uh, until you're blue in the face, about how good certain players were in that period of time. And they were good players, like Dan, Dan Fletcher and stuff. These were good yep. players. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. Say it, but there, were, there were some phenomenal sides that were had that never did anything. The one I recall specifically was the one that we should have beat Italy. And then yes. Italy stole the, well, cheated the, the spot out of our hands. That, that campaign broke my heart, uh-huh. to be fair. But I'll, I'll probably confess there was a period where I felt really disinterested with Scotland. It was nothing to do with, with being poor. It was actually just more to do with you felt like... It didn't feel like it was a team that represented the country anymore. It got to players the point where pro- I felt... Sorry, yeah. Players were pulling out the squad left, right and centre, and you think there's mm-hmm. something no right here. And there were some players that, you know... It, you're thinking head right, Scotland squad should merit the country's elite players and players at a good level that are in great form. Then it got to the point where it was like, oh, no, we're not doing that. We're treating it like club, club football and it's the same boys all the time, regardless of form, regardless of where they are. Yep. I mean, there was a point where um, 
and uh, Jeff, Jeff probably agree with me on this one. Uh, United man Barry Douglas. There was a point where after he'd left United, he was in Poland and he was winning trophies in Poland. He was playing Champions League football in Poland. Couldn't get a Scotland spot over Lee Wallace, who yeah. w- wasn't even in the top flight of Scottish football. It was in that period where Rangers were yep. still working their way back up. And that for me was just like, that's what made me disinterested. I didn't feel like that was a, a fair representation of a Scotland team. It was just the same predominantly group of players all the time. You yeah. lose its spirit after a while. It just kind of rots, rots away. And then when... Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Clark came in. I was buzzing. He was he was my first choice. I said to my friends, as soon as a uh, Strachan was sacked, like, we should look in for him before he went to Kelly. And they just sit, looked at me and went, the fuck is Steve Clark? Um and yeah, obviously been a been a master stroke. And moving forward for Scotland, I think we're in really, really good hands. It, next three games, it's just gonna be really typical Scotland games, like hard grafts to get through. Israel's the one I'm pretty excited for to be honest like because we'll always play as well for some reason at least in, in recent years it's like a derby now it's, is it yeah, Scotland uh, as well <laughs> it's it's that much. <laughs> it'll get more intense when all the Celtic fans come in and bring the Palestinian flags and make oh, it a bit more oh, 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 controversy oh, listen, we need listen, to edit listen, that as well edit listen. edit <laughs> um, I, I, we are in a it's, like, it's, it's typically Scotland is up and down because last week we're bemoaning the fact that we're not taking chances I suppose still to an extent we're not taking enough chances. I'm totally excited about the Adams Dykes partnership. Like yeah. I thought I thought before the Euros, we seen them play against Holland and they looked good. I know they didn't score, they had chances, but they're getting the chances. And that's for years Scotland have struggled to even create chances. So if they're getting even just maybe a handful of chances between them, I'm pretty confident that one of them can take them. They might not be prolific, they might we, they might not be like a, a one and two because we don't generally do one and two strikers in terms of goals. But even one and three is all right when you've got like Sir John McGinn chipping in the goals. I think the more Billy Gilmer evolves, we'll see Billy Gilmer get maybe, I don't know, one and four, maybe. I think he's got that in him. Um, once we get time. that dynamic, once we get that dynamic right between McTominay and McGinn and Gilmore, we're going to be laughing. That's guys, that'll be an absolute fire. Is that the three then? Is that the three? Because then. We've got Ryan Jack to come back in, who people miss Ryan Jack because uh, he does that something different in terms of holding, well, destroying the other play. Because my worry would be against better teams that if you have McGregor, Gilmer, and maybe, I don't know, McTominay, would we be all right? Is there a player in there that can, or sorry, McGinn, uh, is there a player in there that can destroy and stop the, the, uh, the key player from the opposition? From playing and you do need that I think still I know people don't really do man marking as such but you still need that kind of bastard in midfield pardon my French yeah same I, reason I think that every still, team needs that it's the same reason we still kind of need a, a bit of representation from the Scottish leagues as well as just our, our better players that play off down south and in different leagues with a better technical ability sometimes your national team needs to be somewhat of a representation of like the football of your country if Scotland were an absolute bastard to beat all the time instead of trying to play football that we're not particularly good at playing, we'd probably get more success on the park doing so. So, and yeah, Ryan Jack, I think, does bring a good, um, a, a different dynamic to the squad for sure. But the three I named, I just named them because in my head, I feel like they're, the, in terms of personnel, they're the best three midfielders we have. Yeah, yeah. And even in defence as well, we look so comfortable. I think between Tierney, Robertson, we've had for ages, um, the resurgence of Jack Hendry is one I've, <laughs> Love seeing. I can still remember um, an away day to Ross County. 
Faisal El Bakhtawi chipped the goalkeeper in the last minute. And next thing for I knew it, me and Jack Hendry were, were hugging each other in the in the arena and, and going nuts. Uh, and it was it's no surprise to me how well he's went on to do. I felt that uh, quite a few players can have the same story with Celtic that they're perhaps underappreciated, didn't have a fair fair go at it. And he did the right thing, going abroad, reinventing yep. himself. And now he's at Club Rouge for something like over Six eight million pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even like fuck it, unreal. Player of the year, I think he was player of the year last year in Belgium for that stand. Seeing that just then, they deserve all the credit in the universe, like because they bought him for 1.5 million at the start of August and then punted yeah. him at the end of August for seven million quid. That, that was always to happen. Business models and, and they signed uh, Zach Medley that was on loan at Kelly last season, Jesus, yeah, from Arsenal, yeah. But um, but then maybe they see something in him that he'll do the same because obviously he was at Arsenal as a younger day, so he's going to be technically good, you would yeah. think. I mean, look at Hendry. Hendry didn't um, get the cut in Scotland with uh, in, with Celtic anyway. And he's reinvented himself there. Maybe they'll just think, well, Medley's not done the business for Kelly. Can come over here and do the same thing. As you say, if they yeah. identify the right qualities. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's not a surprise to me to see Hendry do so well. And now I think he, we've got a good, and I, I felt at the time when he was at Dundee that he was a future internationalist. And we were in good hands for a good few years to come between him and, uh, who's the other two? It was Hanley and... Uh, Tierney. Well, Hanley's in his peak years. Tierney, that was it. Tierney and, and Hendry are the two that I'm, I'm loving Hanley, to see. Hanley's the one that shocked me the most. Because I'll be honest, see, see when he, he first came through when it was it Gordon Strachan or was he maybe in under... Uh, I might have, did Levine maybe pick him, I think? Uh, I don't remember. I, 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 his first... I'm going to be honest, his first 20 caps maybe, I was not sold on him one bit. I did not rate him one one bit and when he did his move to Newcastle and he didn't do anything there and he was still getting played for picked for Scotland and you kind of think, 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 think just like, this boy's just not good enough and then under Steve Clark in particular and in particular the last two like the Euros and this last international break he's generally made me eat my words because at one point like, as soon as his name appeared on the team sheet uh, on the selection you're, thinking, you're sitting there going nah why is he getting picked we've got much better centre-halves than that you, um, you... so he's oh, impressed me oh no on, on, on you go I was just going to ask, do you feel that the Scotland squad is sustainable in the long term? Yes. You, you think so? I, I think Definitely. Got, I think there's got to be the... Well, I saw Liam Kelly and Xander Clark come in, for instance. I think we've got to see a bit more of that going we, forward. Because like, beforehand, our uh, our options were David Marshall and still Craig Gordon an option right now as well. But that, he's not going to be able to play forever. I think we need well, to well, some more of the, Craig Gordon supposedly is going to play till he's 42, 43 now and who would bet against him because you think the injuries that he suffered and the fact that he thought his career was probably over yeah, yeah. but for him to recover the way he has obviously he had a bit of a um, indifferent spell at Celtic Celtic fans never seem to take him properly who's to say that he won't play for another five years but you still need an keeper just in case because McLaughlin's uh-huh. obviously not a first round at Rangers Marshall, he's going to have to move to try and get back in the picture. And Scott Clark, completely off the boil as well. Yeah. yeah, Clark and Kelly definitely would be possibilities, but they'll need to be capped maybe in friendlies to begin with, just because we're playing crucial games. Maybe yeah. if we're, maybe if we're in the next three, win the next three Denmark game, maybe even play one of them, just because we've, it'll be a non-game almost. The other option that I know we've got is Angus Gunn, who I think is now back. Might be back at Norwich, I'm not too sure. He, I know his, obviously his dad's Brian Gunn. Uh, yes. Famous Aberdeen man uh, himself. He, I know that he's been sounded out again. That's been re- 
bought it uh, previously, but he's seen he's at the time he seemed dead cert to go to pay for England because he would he looked like a top prospect. Since his time at Man City, where it's kind of gone down the pan, he he may come back to be a prospect, but the goalkeeper one gives me the fear a little bit because I don't think we have Liam Kelly looks like he might become a good future international. Xander Clark is six foot three, so I'm not going <laughs> to slag him off too much. But um, I, I don't think there's anyone of the calibre of Gordon or Marshall anywhere to be seen, realistically. Like you say, Scott Bain, yeah. his time at Celtic, fair play to him. He has made a fair bit of money from it, but yeah. it now looks like his time at Celtic's been pretty much over, realistically. He, um, you've got McCrory, obviously, at Rangers, but oh, yeah. he's somewhere. Uh, apart from that old firm game, he doesn't seem to get a lot of game time. And then last season at Livingston, I don't think personally, from my point of view, I don't think he was overly convincing in the games that I saw him in, if I'm totally honest. And that leaves us down the whole of who else have we got, really? I suppose about like talking about a uh, renaissance are like more Hanley than Henry, because Henry's still relatively young for our defender. Mm-hmm. So Hanley's now is about 30. You think about goalkeepers, they always say, and again, it's maybe a bit cliche, because we see keepers now like Donnarumma and all that type of thing. But these are like top class, top class, no matter where they were at, they would play. Maybe it is that like Sir Clark and Kelly, they're at that kind of age whereby they're experienced keepers and still actually have a fair amount of time ahead of them as well to learn even more. I think you're all, that's something as a player, and some players in Scotland maybe don't do this, you're always learning. There's always something new to learn, no matter your position. I think Kelly's probably the one that's got the most potential that we see on a regular basis in Scotland. Claim that, uh, claim that uh, number one for Scotland. He'd be uh, my favourite if Gordon decided to retire tomorrow. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't put it this way. You wouldn't be overly fit if he took the if he took the gloves. Yeah. You wouldn't be overly worried about the outcome. You know, you'd get a very solid performance out of him. His time at QPR didn't seem to go too well, but Motherwell, he definitely looks comfortable. And at the end of the day, a goalkeeper. I don't think for a lot of football players, obviously, it matters what team you're at. But I think for a goalkeeper, it's slightly different in the aspect that, like, you know, the more shots you get fired at, you. Theoretically, the better you become. It then mm-hmm. just comes reliant on concentration level, which is obviously what sticks out as the, the top teams. But Scotland are never going to be the sort of team where the goalkeeper needs to stand for forty-five minutes with no shots coming at them. <laughs> like they're going to be fairly occupied. So I don't think we need to overly worry too much about the level the player plays at. We just need to worry about the performances they're putting, shot stopping. Realistically, in my opinion. But- I did also take the Twitter about one opinion um, regarding Scotland um, in regards to the right back position with Paul McGinn getting called up into the squad there was quite the reaction on social media and uh, I, I put up somewhere I think it was on a, as a reply to the Pie and Bovril Twitter page I, I don't think it's a bit, bit of a shame that you know you've got a guy who let go by St Mirren at a young age was playing for Dumbarton in his mid-twenties he's now managed to work all the way up to the age of, of 30 to get his first international cap even though he was playing part-time football about only about six years ago Is it playing for his country you know, that, yep. that should be the kind of story that we should be milking and trying to rub off. It's never too late, but instead... It's like Andy Considine, when Andy Considine got his cap. I mentioned like, Considine in that specifically as well. And yeah. I like Considine, and we spoke a bit about Considine last week, and like Aaron, that's usually on the podcast, loves Considine, and we all do at Aberdeen, right? But I think even in our... Without being biased at that, we would accept that he, he's not a first choice. But it was lovely to get a fan to get the caps that he got, and who knows, maybe... He comes back from injury, he can get his way back in the squad because he's that type. He's got that mentality. He's like such a good pro. 
But yeah, Paul McGinn got, I think, unfair criticism. I, I, I get fed up about the criticism that Stephen O'Donnell gets because, uh-huh. yeah, the, the, right, and people will, I suppose you can comment about ability and different things like that. There's no doubt any of these players go on the pitch and they are not giving their all with that. It's just that certain players have certain ability, certain attributes that are better than others. He's, I suppose, maybe going forward in the final third. He was getting criticised for that that chance. It was it was a half chance, I would say, because of the position. If that was a striker, you'd say it's a chance chance, I would say. Yeah. Even if you have a thing called a chance chance, I don't know why I said that. But that wasn't a, a clear-cut chance, I wouldn't have said. I think he did the right thing. He tried to play mm-hmm. it across goal. I, I fully believe that you should not be picking players that aren't playing for their teams. I mean, at one point, Scotland were yeah. picking Alan Hutton and he was not playing for Villa and he was not playing for anyone else. And I generally don't think you should be picking players that aren't playing. And equally, at the same time, you want competition for spaces. You need to be able to show that you're willing to give a 30-year-old at Aberdeen or a 30-year-old at Hibs an equal opportunity to, say, a 19-year-old who's played four minutes uh, four games for Rangers. I know, obviously, before people put up my Twitter, I do know Nathan Patterson's played more than that. But my point is, just because a player has played a certain number of minutes for a quote-unquote big club, does not necessarily mean that they are in any way better shape or form than the player who's played all season, yeah. for yeah. 10 seasons at a season, season pros. Club. Yeah, season you, know? you, you, you picked Stephen McGinn, one, for the quality picture so people could realise that John McGinn had a play. I, I two, call. So, uh, Paul McGinn, sorry, Steve McGinn didn't get picked. Uh, but not yet, picked, not so yet. He's in, the next one. he's in the next one just because you want to be nice. You've got to be nice to everyone. You've always... got another brother. Okay, Christmas is going to be Christmas did, is going to be tweet? Did you see the tweet? Uh, is he going to be out for five tomorrow? Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking. Brilliant, wasn't it? Ah, you know, aye. It's brilliant. You have a brother, can come. Aye. But he's picked them. He picked him purely because he's a re- he knows he's reliable and... He, he plays for Hibs. He plays like a good, He's a solid player. He like, the best way to describe Paul McGinn is he's nothing fancy, but he's like incredibly consistent. Like he's never anything below a seven out of ten. Like yep. he's usually yep. seven yep. to eight out of ten every week. He was like that at Dundee. He was like that at Man, and he's like that at Hibs. Yeah, uh, yeah. The criticism is really unfair. He plays at a good level, and I was I was so happy to see him play for Scotland. I think it's the same. The Constantine McGinn story is the same. Should be in the same light as an Andy Robertson going from Queens Park all the way up top. These uh, guys play for the country, even though when it looked like it was far too late for them. Yeah, it's, it's, it annoys me because it's it, it's very much a it, it, you know it's in particular in Glasgow like that. It irritates it, it irritates me beyond belief that. Any other team in Scotland is just not given any, even an ounce of respect in the fact yeah. that they might have That's players why that are genuinely quality. Because you to talk about clubs that are not Rangers and Celtic. It's, like, and it's the same thing. lot to talk about them all the time, but they generate too many headlines. I got about a thousand likes on a tweet last, uh, just before the, the Euros. Um, on a tweet I had about saying how Nathan Patterson, like like I said, Jeff, I, I said about he's only played about four or five games. So how does he merit getting in the in the Scotland squad over um, Sean Rooney, who has that you know, once of a lifetime season with St Johnston? He's the the hero week in week out, cup double, and again I said earlier about how a Scotland team should also have like strength to the Scottish league through Ryan Jack. The same through um, same effect you'd have with with Rooney. Rooney totally snubbed for uh, for Patterson, and even again lately with uh, Anthony Ralston has a fair shout to be in the the Scotland squad over over Patterson. Yeah, it's interesting. Me. We've now actually looked like we've got some depth at right back because I'll speak from my brain point of view. 
So Fulton was about Patterson getting called up too early, but he did get called up, and he's he's shown that he's there on merit when he does play. He's, he's good. He's good now, Calvin play. Calvin Ramsey, honestly, and this has not been biased at all. Everyone is saying it. He or I, my word, what a player! Like, yeah. and genuinely, everyone that sees him, every every level he steps up to, he played for under twenty ones. Fulton raving about him. He's actually arguably in our side just now, and this is a big surprise as such. He's probably our most creative player. So like what do you he say? Set. He's better than Shea Logan. Yes. <laughs> I, I like Shea Logan. Shea Logan was brilliant for us. They did a fantastic job. But Calvin Ramsey's definitely the most exciting player we have had since Ryan Fraser, but even maybe before that. I, I think Calvin Ramsey can go on and be, and this is maybe hyperbole, but I think he can do anything he wants if he is totally focused on football. I meant the As name it, Ramsey I when I said it. So see when, see when folk are talking about this squad and we were short of right-backs. People oh, it's too early for him. Well, why was it too early for him when it wasn't too early for Nathan Patterson? Because they played a similar amount of games to what Patterson had had when he first got called up. And he had, even in Europe as well for us this season, Ramsey showed that he was more than capable of handling the occasion. He's the modern fullback that we want. That's You need those modern fullbacks in the game now, and especially the way that Scotland do play, whereby we're not blessed with creativity. Like we like to use our field, we like to use our wing backs as as assets, and that's what clubs do. I mean, it's if anything, wing backs, full backs are the the best position to play nowadays. Almost, uh, it 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 doesn't look like I, I fully agree on the, the, the Stephen O'Donnell one in particular annoys me because, like you say, we we've got now finally full backs there, but when we had none, Stephen O'Donnell never let us down, and people that slagged him endlessly, and we all. It usually comes from specific locations. But the people that slag him because their right-back wasn't inserted into the team. Honestly, just go watch that game against Denmark again. Watch the first half and watch the two goals go in and then try and argue back that Stephen O'Donnell makes absolutely no impact and they could do a better job. Because at the end of the day, like, if we'd had an actual, actual right-back, the second goal was just a piece of class. The first goal, I generally don't think would have happened because there wouldn't have been so many people lost trying to get across to a position that they knew nothing about. At the end of the day, in the games where we've been under the cosh, aka the England game in particular, and uh, the Austria game where we were under extreme pressure, Stephen O'Donnell never let anyone down. And if, yeah, at one point, he had David Alaba in his back pocket and he had Jack yep. Grealish. So yep. Yep. it's not like his performances are bad. I just don't, I just honestly think it's the club he's at. And at the end of the day, right, you've got to bear in mind that like, it's an international game. You're talking about eight games a year, nine games a year maybe. And there's a big difference between playing nine games a year at a certain level and playing a full season. So yeah, he may never get that move to a, a, a bigger club than a Motherwell. Or I think he was linked to Oxford United. I think it was one of the links he had with him. Yeah. But who are you going to find that's better? Like realistically, there isn't anyone, in my opinion at the moment, who could step up and under extreme pressure do it. Patterson, in years to come, without shadow of doubt, will be the best right back at Scotland. Maybe Ramsey would come in, but uh, Patterson looks at the minute like closest to being able to take that jersey. But he's never really played in a game where his team have been absolutely on the back foot, absolutely defending like mad. And there is a big difference between an out and out attacking the fullback, keeping the ball with no pressure on you, and not getting challenged. And if you make a mistake, David Alaba is going to cross in the ball that's not going to reach someone's head. There's a big difference, and it does annoy me that people don't 
respect the player. It's just it's yeah, respecting, it's respecting the professional then. See, in a way though, you could argue it maybe means more for him to play for Scotland than it does some of the other players because yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what it should be anyway. For but for some we know now it's not. Like yeah. right, rightly or wrongly, because some people have got a boyhood clubs and there's the whole club country debate. Well, doesn't really matter. Like if you're playing for the, the way I think most people should see it, and you hear it now, where well, a lot of players getting called up, regardless of who they play for, they're totally proud to play for Scotland. You speak to any former Scottish international, any, or read any of their autobiographies, or listen to any of my podcasts or recordings, and the, you can hear the pride in their voice of pulling on the Scotland top. Even if it's just like Gary McGuire Stephen who pulled a Scotland up on a friendly against the USA, which was a nil nil draw on a Tuesday night in November, he still speaks that game with pride. And that's kind of what yes. you're after. That's yeah. what that's what you want your players. Obviously, if you're the pride to put the, jer- the, the, the jersey on, then that's all you really should be looking for. And it, it kind of annoys me the amount of call offs we get. I've noticed over the last few years, all the players that called off a lot um, on the previous managers have either not called off since or have not been called up since. So I think one of the talent ones is probably Tom Kearney, who's obviously at Fulham, who has not been seen since he pulled out of the squad. Uh, because he said, I think he said he wanted to consider his international future or something daft like that. And he's not been seen since. Matt Ritchie. Um, Matt, Ritchie I, Matt Ritchie is a prime example who, um, I know it's dad, actually, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he's another one who, he pulled out of the squad. I think he gave the same sort of daft excuse of that. Like he had a tight thigh or something, something daft anyway. He's not been seen since. And I think personally that that should be what the case is. is if, if you pull out of the squad without just cause, that should be you done. I know, obviously, yeah. there are some cases where players don't get pulled up for other reasons. Uh, Alan McGregor can vouch for that. Um, but it, it does annoy me. And see for the next few games. Under Steve Clark, I've noticed we haven't had many call-offs. Can't think of any that have pulled, pulled out of the squad without just reason. Um, so I think Steve Clark's got a different mentality about it, but I also think Steve Clark's also probably got a little bit more of a discipline point of view of like if you pull out, that's you. But I think also people are less likely to pull out of this squad because they do know that Steve Clark will a go find someone else, and he's been sh- he's shown that he's done it. Lee Griffiths is a prime example. The amount of people that endlessly called for Lee Griffiths to be in the Euro squad. And you kind of like, well, he played, I think he played something like seven games last season and everyone's calling for it to be in a Euro squad. Like, well, but what, what, why should he be in it? And Seacock said in an interview, didn't he, that like, if a player's not been in the last camp and if they're not called up, you just won't phone them and tell them. Because he's like, well, why should they expect to be there? I think he said the, the only exception he made was uh, Considine. Uh, and the reason yeah. why he made that exception yep. was obviously because of how much, you know, the impact he'd had on the squad and how much it meant to him. He'd missed out due to injury, not due to his own. Yeah. Own I think it's a bit of respect as well. I think um, he'd been part of the kind of ca- campaign, but everyone was fit and it was a case of, well, unfortunately, we can't take everyone kind of thing. And I think much as Considine would have been unhappy, he would have understood his decision because he's a, a mature guy, like professional. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm excited. I mean, I know but you go between being excited and then going, <laughs> oh, but generally, like the players we've got, there's not many that are not going to be around for maybe another like at least minimum two campaigns outside the keepers. And but even then, mm-hmm. we've discussed there that could be like I think the Hanley's the oldest outfield player, I think. Uh, he, he might, Matt, if I th- 
Yeah. Might so well he could arguably, at the age of 30, still play till he's, well, international if it's Craig Brown, he'll play till he's about 38. But Craig Brown, we love Craig Brown, obviously, because he got us to campaigns and got us to tournaments. But yeah, I mean, Grant Hartley could easily play another couple of campaigns minimum. And he's yeah. the oldest player, out, outfield player in the squad. He's yeah. also got, got a lot of hope with the, I think, the, the youth with Scottish football as well. When I mentioned about how Jack Kendras went abroad, he's not the only one that's going to be doing that to try and get their career going. Kevin Nisbet's a good example as well. He forced to move away, I think it was from Partick Thistle, because it wasn't going to work for him. And now he's, look where he's worked his way up to, into the Scotland squad, scoring for Hibs, getting links to yep. uh, English clubs, etc. So, yeah, I mean, there's another player I was wanting to mention who's went a bit under the radar because, well, he's off in Italy, is Aaron Hickey. I got another yeah, fresh from the youth crop, and I was I was going to ask if you remember that period where uh, this there was this attitude of uh, who do you play between Tierney and, and Robertson? You've got to fit them both in the team. Then initially Tierney was right back, and now he's centre half. I was going to raise the the thought of do you think if Arn Hickey's doing the business in Italy, if they'll try the same thing and try and play him right back just for the sake of forcing the quality? Honestly, we're going to end up with a back line and left backs. <laughs> but I know. we we discussed previously, though, as far as I'm aware. Hickey can play in the middle of the park as well. Hickey's so whether and I think I think fullbacks should be able to play defensive mid anyway, because it's effectively in a way it's kind of the same attributes you need for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's going back to like yeah. football manager and converting folk, but the very similar attributes are required. Um, no, I, I so I could see Hickey the only thing about Hickey, but but uh, that's just been stupid because We've seen it happen at Barcelona's season, for example, Xavi and Esther, and even Busquets isn't that tall, I don't particularly think. Hickey could possibly evolve into that because he's going to find it difficult to play at left wing back because Andy Robertson, obviously, Tierney, you've got Doig at Hibs, who did good. Um, but I do think there'll be a way somewhere along the line for Hickey if he keeps playing in Italy, which is the hardest, well, still one of the hardest leagues, probably, in terms of being a defender. So... I've, said, I've said before that, I've said uh, before in the past that uh, full and centre mids, as you say, it's very similar attributes and there is a massive list of players that can play in both areas for that exact yep. reason. Um, James Milner's the first that comes to mind. Philip um, Lamb. Philip Lamb. You remember Lamb. Kimmich. Kimmich. Yep. Uh, I'm trying uh, to think of, of Scottish examples as well because I know Marco Harris started off as a right back at Kilmarnock. Yeah. Now he's a midfielder. Um... Ryan Jack oh, played occasionally at right back actually when he came through at Aberdeen. I think John um, McGee as well. He's had a few games yeah, at right back. Yeah, John, as well yeah, yeah. Field. So it's, yeah, I, I think it's potential because we are short of that defensive mid cover of Jack's out. So it could be a, an area to look at, maybe. Um, to be fair to Hickey, he played tonight for Bologna. Uh, again, yeah. He's, at left back. But yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think Hickey could. I know there were players you've mentioned like. Ryan Jack and, and so they have converted into mid and Kimmich is a, a prime example. Philip Lamb started off in midfield and went to right back, but um, I don't think Hickey can based on the fact that hit one of his main attributes is why Bologna took him um, is pace. And I don't think I think he'd be stifled in the middle of the park. And also, I know obviously Tierney and Robertson are world class. Tierney's been moved by Arsenal to slightly more centre half kind of position on the left-hand side because they obviously play that three at the back but Steve Clark does play which I think plays into his advantage um, whereas Hickey from what I've seen of him playing in Italy and from what uh, there's a few uh, there's a few things I've read about him in Italy 
they seem to be keen on him being a left back. But I'll be honest, see, Robertson's, what, 28 now, I think. Hickey's only, I think he's 19 now. Yeah. So, like, Hickey has got a big future ahead of him. And at the end of the day, if we've got a left back who has been trained in Italy, the, the land of defending, I think in time to come, he will make that left back position his own. And I think he'll be one of the best left backs around. He's still got loads of growing to do. And being in Bologna, he's probably in one of the best places he can be to mm-hmm. improve himself. Sense of Ahilovic as well. Sense of Ahilovic as coach, who can maybe help him like with some free kicks as well. So. <laughs> There we go. We get set piece, set piece set expert as well. As long as he doesn't teach him any politics, will happen. Well, well. Plenty of talent in like the under Scotland, uh, the Scotland under twenty ones, and that as well. And team, even even some of the players that have came through uh, in the past, I think Scott Wright's one that could be destined up for the very top as well. He impressed, oh, he impressed yeah. me a lot at uh, Dundee and at Aberdeen. I was uh, really gutted when he hit initially uh, after his loan spell. He had that injury. I, I was quite when he moved, like obviously, yeah. but. I kind of felt, in a way, the older wee bit of loyalty because we did kind of look after him when he was injured. However, yeah. I suppose people are looking at who knows what money he got offered at the Rangers, and mm-hmm. I don't agree with it because obviously I don't want players to move there. But yeah, he does. Rangers fans are raving about him in terms of any appearances this season. People are talking about drop Kent, play right, and look how much they loved Kent last year. So yeah, he definitely gives something a bit different because. I suppose we don't play with wingers, even though he started as a winger. He is a 10, if you want to say even a false 10, if there's such a thing nowadays. Um, he reminded so, me a lot of Scott Allen when he was at Dundee. A bit more pacey, though, I would say. Scott Wright. Uh, a lot more pacey. I meant more um, technical, technical-wise. You remind yeah, me a lot yeah. of Scott Allen. It um, yeah. could be a wild card for next month if he can... Get some games at Rangers, possibly. The only thing is, it's an area we are very strong. Like, and if our top Clark likes to be loyal to players that keep playing Christie, it's pretty good for Scotland. I would say He's someone yeah. that always merits a place. Um, I still think I, I want to see I want to see Turnbull in that midfield somehow. I think Turnbull is going to have such a great future. The way he plays, like on the half turn, always looking for the ball, total confidence, like Gilmore does. These guys that want the ball every opportunity, no matter if it's a tight space. I, I just think Turnbull's a cracking player, like, and he's only going to get better. I've always thought so as well that Stuart Armstrong we get the best out of him when he's in midfield as opposed to being a wide player. Doesn't strike me as, as, as a winger, although he's been playing there for Southampton. Uh, I think the problem for Stuart Armstrong is going to be Turnbull. I think that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Look, Tomini, let's be honest, as much as I think in midfield he'd probably be better for us, he's more than likely going to get pushed to centre half. Uh, with Hendry and Turney. Yeah. Especially for the Israel game. I think Tomori yeah. will come back in there. You can kind of feel that's going to happen, which means the midfield might well be the same as Josh Drew midfield. And I think it should probably be the same midfield. Yeah. But it then means you've got Christie, Turnbull trying to force their way into that. Uh, basically, they'll be the last two spots available. Realistically, we can probably name the rest of the squad. Uh, and it means Armstrong... I think he'll still be in the squad. I don't think there's a question about that, but I don't think he'll be in the starting eleven. I think yeah, it'll, it'll be probably a be a smaller squad as well because it's only two games as opposed to three. So there'll be a there'll be a few that are not there. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think Scott McKenna for now at least is 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 not going to be picked for quite a wee while I, I, unless he has a spectacular t- return to form. But Forest aren't in a particularly good place. They've not won all season. 
it's an interesting one though with McKenna. I mean, this I get, I've not seen him play for Forest, but from what I have heard since he went there, I think when he is playing, he's one of our better players. But obviously, they are struggling, and yeah. he's most similar to Hanley in terms of physical attributes. That's why yeah. he will probably be in the squad. I think because Declan Gallagher's not set the header on fire at Aberdeen uh, yet. Yeah, I'm so surprised um, to hear that he's, he's struggling. So I think yeah. McKenna will still be in the squad actually because Hanley's out. And you, you noticed in the Euros when Hanley went off, it was McKenna that came on, and that's why because they're the, the probably the closest match. And even against Israel, I know Israel are a bit more clever in attack, but you still need a physical defender because it's not just asking about attack; it's defending set pieces. Yeah, the, the problem for Scott McKenna, my personal opinion was in that Austria game, in that Denmark game, in particular, he looked like a player whose side was at the bottom of the league. He looked. Especially the second goal, he nearly have ran in to Hanley, and you're kind of thinking when you when the team's at the bottom of the league, the defenders tend to. It's happened to United, especially with John Sutton. John Sutton's moved on to much better things since. But when United started going wrong, Sutton started to try and almost play slightly too dangerous. He tried to clear up slightly too much, so instead of sticking disciplined into his position, he'd cut across to try and cut out a ball, which would then lead to the ball being broke to where he was. And I think McKenna at the minute looks like he's in that same situation. Yeah, I think yeah. if his club turn around and the form picks up, pick him, he'll be fine. But I think at the minute he just needs a reassurance. I think I think maybe see if he'd have played maybe in that Austria game. No, I wouldn't have played him, but see if he had played in it, he'd probably put in a better performance because his confidence might have been built up a bit. But I think for the Israel game, if you're going to put him in the squad, fair enough. Uh, I think is it Israel and is the Pharaohs the other team that we've got, or is it Moldova? Yeah. Yeah, no, Israel and the Pharaohs. So playing in the Pharaohs game, if you're going to pick him, but I don't, I, I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't picked. Um, would, would there be a slight concern about a back three of Henry, McTominay and Tierney when McTominay's not a centre-back by trade? Tierney, I know he does well there, but again, he's not technically a centre-back by trade. And Jack Henry, ball playing. Yeah, that's the only thing because McTominay in the centre of a three I, I would have major hesitations there uh, I think if you was to pick McTominay and Tierney uh, personally I'd put Hanley in and not Henry Hanley, Hanley's out there should we? Uh, yeah. that's the problem I'd, yeah. ba- I'd probably back that back three to be fair because McTominay although he's not by trade he's he's done the business there before yeah. do you put him in the centre of a three or do you, put, do you shift Henry over to the middle I push just Henry into the middle, to be honest. Yeah. 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 Hen- Henry in the middle and Tierney and McTominay to his sides. I know uh, I know what you say about Henry being a ball playing centre half, but there's ball playing centre half and then there's a ball playing centre half who plays for Man United in the deep line midfield yeah, position. Exactly. I'd, I'd fancy McTominay taking the ball forward a lot more than Henry. No disrespect yeah. to Henry, he's got a great move to the Champions League side, but yeah, I think McTominay's a, a, the cool, one that cool. put my rest of my bonnet on. I've got a question though regarding Declan Gallagher. Like, do you have any anything you can pinpoint as to why he's struggling at Aberdeen? Is it just a total? Battle? I don't know if he's overly struggling. We are struggling defensively, to be fair. Like uh-huh. um, I was at a game on Saturday, and we look good going forward. And folk are like getting over. Like I think personally, you're getting overly critical because it's the whole glass. He's an experienced manager, etc., etc. And I, there probably has some reservations. I think even from myself. And people will say you build a team from the back. Well, I maybe you do. However, going forward, we generally do it pretty good. But we need to take chances. 
I think I, I don't like XG and all that, but I'm starting to learn how it works a wee bit. Our XG was something like 1.6 against, I think, Motherwell were like 0.6. And the chances we had, they were good. We had a few good chances that we should have taken. I still don't think we have a goal scorer. So you've got a problem if you're not got a proper goal scorer that's scoring goals and you're conceding every game because we only have had one clean sheet, I think, on the glass. That, there's a problem. But I do think we have the ability going forward to to do well. It's going to be a tough season. Everyone, we all, on at the start of the season, remember we're all trying to predict who's going to finish where. And I think everyone was finishing in eighth place at one point. Yeah. I, I, I still think this is a season of transition and it's it's probably difficult to say because he has been backed in the, by the board. He's been backed in terms of getting players in. I think most of the players we've got in are pretty good signings. I think if if Hibs or Hearts or any other club out with the top two, well, I say the top two, Rangers and Celtic, because obviously they're not the top two just now. Or are they? No, maybe they are. Nah. But, um, yeah, Bates, like for example, there's a player that is going abroad, come back, 24, yeah. will probably harbour a good chance of getting back in the Scotland squad. Gallagher's been in the squad and he, he he never let Scotland down, to be fair. I just think maybe mm-hmm. early on, it's not just him. It's we're very easy to play it. I mean, the Dundee United game, much as I felt we were pretty comfortable, there were still some scary moments against the Dundee United team that's not very creative. We were we were broken too easily. And you've got a midfielder, Brown, Ferguson. It's now Lonstaff just now. That's not a midfield that should be easy to play through. Mm-hmm. But just now it's very easy to play through, and that that's the thing I think we need to adapt. We, on Saturday, for example, and I know because we're kind of naturally going into the weekend actually a wee bit here. So I expect Scott Brown signs. Scott Brown ends up being your deep line playmaker, which is what he did for Celtic. He gets a ball off your centre backs and then gives it to whoever. Saturday we're actually a four three three technically, but it was a flat three in midfield almost. Or Scott Brown was getting licensed to go forward. Now, Scott Brown, when he was Hibs years ago, yeah, that's what he was. And fair enough, and I know he is probably, the, we spoke of, you're speaking about Charlie McGrew being the fittest player Dundee United. Scott Brown is the fittest at Aberdeen, probably. But play to his strengths. He's played at Celtic for the last 14 years. He's predominantly been playing as a yeah, deep line playmaker, I would say. But why are we not playing him like that? Because if he does that, that also takes pressure off your centre-backs, because they don't have to bring the ball forward as much. And Gallagher's not the best at bringing the ball forward. McCrory, I don't think either is, even though he's a, I would say, better than midfield. So there's a, com- a, a combination of things. I still think, I'm hoping there's going to be a click moment where Glass goes, right, OK, I need to just, a min- some minor tweaks. And I do think we'll, st- I think we've got in us to actually start beating teams by a few goals. But goals is the hardest thing to do in football. Goals is the hardest thing Goals are the hardest thing to do in football. And that's otherwise we would all have 20 goal or season strikers on our teams. I think for you guys at the weekend in particular, and like going forward at the moment, it seems like Brown, it's, it's not Scott Brown's fault, like Scott Brown's been brought into no. obviously more than just his football ability. I think part of the issue is Brown sort of takes up the positions that Ferguson likes to be in every so often. And it pushes Ferguson slightly further <laughs> forward, which he's good at. But I think sometimes he prefers to be slightly deeper. And then with Matty Longstaff coming in, I don't know if any Aberdeen fan or Newcastle fan for that matter really knows 100% what Matty Longstaff's favoured position is. Is it slightly deeper? Was it slightly further forward? Because I watched the highlights of the weekend and you sort of seen Ferguson 
go forward and then Longstaff would appear or go back to Brown and then Longstaff would appear. And I think part of the other problem is Scott Brown likes to sit deep. We've all watched him at Celtic. He likes to drop back slightly further, pushes the centre-halves slightly further out and then they can attack going forward. Whereas at the weekend for you guys, I think it's a mixture of a near enough an entire new squad. I mean, yes, your back, exactly your as well, yeah. Back four. Ramsey was there last season. Um, but only towards the end of the season, predominantly. Yeah. So, so it's an entire new back four in front of a goalkeeper that for many seasons was used to seeing the, the, the players in front of him. Your midfield out with Ferguson is pretty much a brand new midfield. I mean, you've got Hayes, but obviously Hayes is getting quite further along in his career. And even your strike force is pretty much brand, brand new, realistic. Exactly. I mean, so yep. it is an entire new squad, a new style of play he's trying to implement. You were kind of unlucky at the weekend. Motherwell, the goals were good, fair play. But I think Van der Veen was lucky to stay on the park in most people's Yes, that's a good deal. Yeah, he was good though. He was brilliant. Like, what, honestly, the hit, I, his performance was outstanding as a striker who is like pretty physical. You knew straight away he's probably going to target our full-backs who are young. And oh my word, like it was an all-round, I would say 9 out of 10 right, so performance. I, You'd need to Google it, but um, he definitely, I can't remember how long it was. It wasn't that long ago. He was almost on his way to China for a couple of million pounds when he was at uh, Scunthorpe. It, it, that, fell through. That's the first I've seen him in the flesh. I've always seen him in highlights. Um, I think he'd missed a few weeks before the international break, but whether it's just a one-off game, like a, a Curtis Main type game against us, <laughs> and we sign him later on, I don't know, but he generally, he's Dutch. He, he's got technique. It's the weird thing, it was like, set up at set pieces so you're automatically going to think he's going to be in the box and and then you think he's going to make a light run to get it a bit like uh, Hollander did against Celtic Neil Trump no he was waiting on the edge of the box so that if the ball broke him he was going to hit it and you're thinking that's a bit, that's a bit weird and then you seem like the ball did break to at one point and the technique to like keep the ball down was superb I think it blocked his line I thought that could be a terrific sign off for Marwell if he if that's how he plays every week, then mm-hmm. oh my word, like yeah. And Tony Watts playing really well just now as well. Bit of a a bit of shit house today, but you can yeah. if it's, it's in, if it's your team, you love it. You did the think... Rob Scott Brown's head and all that, and TikTok were <laughs> loving it. And Motherwell, Motherwell MFC podcast tagged the podcast and said I because they know a few of us are obviously Aberdeen fans. Watts <laughs> obviously travelled quite quite a bit in his career, but I think now he's really in his element at Motherwell. Like this is the club that's really getting the, the best at him, and I think he's going to be there for three years to come. I think he's going to be that you know you know when you have the if you name a club, there's always that player you associate with him. Yeah, yes. I think he's going to be that guy for Motherwell. Lemon, mind you, again you'll be too young for remembering him. Probably Ethan, yeah. Jeff, you might remember Doc Lemon, <laughs> German, yeah. um, but things like that. Yeah, but, I, I think he's in a good place. I think Motherwell. I, I know he's a he's a coach boy. He has said in the past that he, he watched Motherwell a fair few times as a kid. I think he's just, I think he's finally found a club where he feels comfortable and at home. I know he said he was quite comfortable when he was at Charlton for a while, and then obviously Charlton's ownership is a bit mental. Uh, I think he's happy where he is. I think he's also quite pleased to be at somewhere where not everyone's mentioned that he scored once against Barcelona, in case no one's ever heard about it. But I think he's quite comfortable where he is. I'm pleased for him. I also think he's found a club, and the club have found have given him a position on the park where he's content. People, obviously, every time he played anyone else, expect him just to score goals and nothing else. Whereas at Motherwell, he seems to be more of, a, more of the supplier. 
where are you going to pick up the points from yeah. to, to give yourself a fighter's chance? Because, I mean, if you get into Christmas and you're not um, and you're not miles away, fair enough. I do worry that for Livingston in particular, I think they've lost, obviously they've lost yet. They've still got, relatively speaking, not a bad squad, but like you say, it's the creation that's the issue. And then to go up against two teams that are really good form at the minute, I say really good form, so I'll say one more game. But it's gonna be a it's gonna be a long season for them, I fear. Yeah. They're a well they're a well run club as well. I think they do replace players pretty well in the, but they are they're always punching a, a very high high weight. Yeah. They're in saying that though, they're, they're still probably my favourites to, to go down. I, I think Ross County just edge it with a bit more quality for me, if you're talking in regards to them too. Yeah, Ross County got a bit of um, Ross County got that uh, that thing that you can't buy, that experience of being down in this fight for a wee while. In past experience in that team, the, the new That's Hamilton, the, so yeah, new Hamilton, yeah, the new Hamilton, uh, Hamilton are going down again. But uh, I'm, yeah. I'm up for the Ross County underdog story, though. To be honest, it's, it's not a plastic <laughs> pitch. It's quite, it's quite a nice wee club. It's a, I like it. I like it as an away day personally as well. It's good. I, I'm all uh, Ross County being the Highland representation in the league. I've no problem against it. I like it because it's slightly easier to get to on the train. That's about, <laughs> it's about the extension of it. Uh, it's not two mental trains, and I don't have to wait four hours from kick off uh, to the end of the game, ended in the pre, next train. Pre match, oh. pre match meal at Wimpy's, I recommend by the way, in Dingwall. So, only okay. Wimpy's in main match. <laughs> 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 like, if there was anything that I thought you would not know, it would be Wimpy because of your age, uh, but there's still a Wimpy up there, which like that's mental. So talking of food, talking of food, because we like we do like a bit of food chat on the podcast, and one of the guys in the podcast mentioned this before, and it's pretty much going vile the Mary Hill Melter pie it's basically a breakfast pie I or no no from the sounds of it no no <laughs> black pudding I think black pudding sausage beans oh right yeah yeah when you said breakfast I pictured cereal and milk and pastry <laughs> 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 right. you're obviously too healthy like you're talking about the gym earlier and Jeff and you're going the gym what uh, I thought <laughs> Don't want to put myself. I'm a qualified personal trainer, but I've not done it in like five years, so don't come see me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it looked pretty good. So the pies that I remember at the start of the season, though, I don't think Dundee or Dundee United really get mentioned in terms of pies. Oh, that's a crap. Um, yeah, United was so. uh, <laughs> Circle that was Circle for a while. Do you know what pie is really good? Mate? I see. I did rub this off Twitter, so I can't remember who it was. So forgive me. But Armandale. I've uh, got a donna kebab pie. That's yes. A, it's a donna yeah, and like yeah. chilli sauce on it. I'm gen- it's, it's four quid to get into games there and I'm genuinely going to go just for the pie. Yeah. No, we're all about the pies. I need to just mention as well, before we do a couple of things, we did get one of our Dundee Derby uh, mentioned from one, someone, Charlie Haggart, who basically just said, Steve Lovell loved the Dundee Derby, scored a couple of good goals against United, one of my favourite players for Dundee. Um, so yeah I've actually got a shirt in the other room that uh, two shirts that belong to Steve Lovell in the other room both match one one of them uh, Dundee uh, whole Dundee squad of 2005 signed and another one from his Portsmouth days nice that's my my collection yeah oh, great, great, great great player Steve Lovell the one that my dad still talks about to this day again maybe a player, a player that just fitted at, at a club Dundee were seem to be a a, a good fit for him. 
it's quite mental as well that Dundee like had as many strikers as they did that could score so many goals and they kept that balance. Like Lovell was there at the same time as Novo and um was he there? I don't know if he was there at the same time as Sarah, but he was there at the same time as Novo, Milne and someone else. There's quite a lot of Aye. And then on the back of you having Caballero and stuff like that. And oh, yeah, Raven- yeah, okay, Ravinelli. Ravinelli. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, isn't it? To think about players that are and up Lovell, Lovell can say from his Aberdeen days that he scored against uh, Oliver Kahn. I liked Lovell. He was again probably one of those players that wasn't a you know, goal scorer as such, but work rate and mm-hmm. yeah, I liked him. I liked him. I did like him. Um, there, there is a book about uh, the, the Kevin Kevin uh, and the <laughs> Raven Henley days. If anyone ever wants to read it, it's called uh, The Bird and the Feather. It's genuinely right. I'm doing research for obviously my book on the Dundee well, album, and that book is absolutely. Yeah, it's priceless to read. It's such a good read. It's Brilliant. mental. It's mental stories, but it's genuinely really good read. Yeah, I've got it. I I'll rate it. Recommend it as well. Rate it. Right. Okay. I'll, I'll check it out. On the subject of your book, so obviously when you're on the podcast at the start of the season, you gave it a wee shout out. What's the latest update with the book? Right. So I have got two. One that's in the process of writing, and one that's now out on the 18th of October. The one on the 18th of October is called Scotland's Lost Clubs. Yep. It's literally the story of 38 different clubs that at one point or another have played in Scotland. I can I'll send the I'll, I'll tweet the link out for it. It's on Amazon. Yep. Weirdly, if you're a student, you can get it on WH Smiths for like five or less. Um so Do you still get the same money though? Like don't yeah, don't yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> my royalties are not affected by your decision making. Um, no, so yeah, that one's out, and uh, that one's a really good Christmas present for anyone that uh, you know, man, woman, child, baby. Uh, so buy it for all of them. Uh, no, that one is. I'm quite pleased with this book because there is another book similar to it that is out, but this one that I've done is it's a smaller version. I've tried to concentrate. I've given, tried to give every club an equal footing. So each club gets the same sort of in-depth mm-hmm. look into them. Because I, I find um, a lot of the clubs in Scotland that have, been, that, have, that have folded, the reason behind them folding are often really intrig- intriguing. And a lot of the time it's social economic reasons rather than poor management. So I think we all remember the Gretna story. Obviously, how, how, Gretna, how Gretna went. That one I've covered quite well, but there's, equally there's quite a few really good books on Gretna themselves. Um how the new club have tried above and beyond to disassociate themselves from the previous club. Um, I've also tried to be fairly balanced in mine. I don't feel like in any of my books really condemning anyone because I always feel Third uh, Lanark's a prime example. So uh, a guy called Bill Huddleston was the guy that effectively was owner of Third Lanark when they went bust in 1967. And um, when they went bust, everyone sort of condemned him as the police, to be fair. But I like to try and give a little bit of the other side of the story. So, yeah, I really recommend that. But the other one that's in the process of being made at the moment is a book on the Dundee Derby, because as we've done this for this entire podcast, no one's really ever gone into it. We, there are books about, um, obviously, the Edinburgh Derby one's just coming out in the next couple of weeks. I recommend people give that a read. Uh, obviously, it's about a million and one about the old firm. Just just, just watch the Dying Diary clip. Yeah. It's much better. It clears up the entire story in two seconds. But... Um, yeah, the Dundee that one's currently in the process of being made, which is definitely cool. read to them through in the face. But yeah, there's two books out, so please buy both of them. They're really good. Aye, and obviously, as we've said, we'll give a shout when the book comes out and I buy it because it sounds a great, it sounds great. That type of thing intrigues me anyway, the lost clubs and 
I mean, I suppose club, well, a few know about what it could be like to almost lose your club. Um, so before we wrap up for the night, I say night because we record this at night, we've got lower league predictions. Um, Ali Graham is currently 3-1 up. He's smashing us and we can't have this. So we pick three games, one from Championship, one from League One, one from League Two. So there's three of us on the podcast, so we'll just go a game each, okay? Um, do any of you have a preference in terms of what league? You pick from uh, League One, please. League One for you, Jeff. Um, right, I'm probably better off a championship than if he's got League One. All oh, right, okay. Cheers, I So I've got League Two. Thanks. Right, okay. So let's see. So just because we'll go with championship, let me see. Um, Queen of the South or Broth. Oh, we're going through all of them, sorry. I thought I'd be slightly like oh, one match. No, going through just, we're going, uh, no, Queen of South Abroad is going to be the game we pick from the league. Game pick, right, okay. So Queen of South versus Arbroath. And it's at Palmerston, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's just got Scrappy written all over it. Arbroath in great form. On a plastic turf, though. I'm trying to think of who's all at Queen still from the departures and such. Um, I'm going to say... Arbroath to keep the run going. Got another game uh, on me. Need a score. Arbroath to win. I'm going to say 1 now. Tight affair. Tight okay. margin. Okay. Right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, if we go down to League 1, I think we'll go Peterhead Cove Rangers. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> right. I watched Cove play Queen's Park the week. No. Um, Peterhead have been in fairly indifferent form. I know they got a win that weekend, 3 2 over Clyde, but it wasn't. A, I'm not going to say smashing grab, but they scored all three and then David Goodwin pinned them back. Uh, Cove, they're fairly indifferent. I mean, they drew against Queen, they drew against Montrose, lost to Clyde, lost to Queen's Park. Uh, I think it will be a tight game, but I'm going to go. Ooh, I'm going to go 2 2. I don't I would say 2-1, but it's at, it's, it's in Peterhead. Cove have not been convincing of, of recently. Yeah. It would be 2-2 or Cove would absolutely romp it 4-0. <laughs> Aye. Right, OK. I think it's only fair then the pair of you between you pick the game for League 2 and I'll try and kind of figure out what I think the score might be. <laughs> I think uh, I think I know what, what game to go for. By the way. Right. What, what, what are you thinking, uh, Jeff? Uh, I'd probably say uh, Algen uh, Algen City versus Alan. Athletic I was going to say for County but I'll take Elgin Elgin instead that sounds like a tastier fixture because Annan's a really really tricky place to not tricky but a tricky team to play and Elgin are actually uh, really good in that division They're, they were uh, what a last minute goal last season from the playoff uh, final Algen are in six, uh, Algen are in seventh Annan's in second but County be for bottom and have been terrible mm-hmm. most of the season and fourth are in so I go for, yeah. Al- go for Algen because it's harder. So Elgin have only won one game out of six. Arnold obviously up in second, lost at the weekend. Arnold are scoring a decent amount of goals. Uh, Elgin aren't conceding many. Arnold haven't drawn, but I'm actually going to go for a draw here. 
and sit in the fence. So I am going to go for one all on that one. So we've got Queen of South Abroath and now one. Peterhead versus Cove Rangers 2 2. Elgin Arnon 1 all. And hopefully we can get back to 2 3 against Ali. Because he is the expert, though. He knows a lot more about the leagues than what we do. So we'll see what happens. And I need a preview podcast that's coming out late in the week. John, other John, will be interviewing Leanne Crichton, who's now at Motherwell, and Stuart Mitchell. So that should be out on Thursday, um, I believe. Um, and that's a wrap. So both of you, thanks for coming on. Enjoy, I enjoyed listening to the Dundee stories because, as we said before, it's not a game that gets much media coverage, maybe outside of Dundee, and even maybe in Dundee, I don't know what the coverage is like. So from that point of view, good. Tied in nice. I didn't even know, Jeff, you were writing a book about the Dundee Derby, so uh, that was that tied in perfectly. Almost like it was seamless. Some kind of... Start the lining. Yeah, maybe we'll get a shout out in the book. Like, <laughs> but... Oh. Pick Ethan's brains, no doubt, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, another, another one to go for is um, da- Daniel Smith that runs the D Archive. I have spoke to him. He, he does the historical, is he, he the historical trust as well on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Because uh, I've, I've got a Twitter page for the Dundee Derby so I can try and uh, steal people's stories and pass them off and I completely recycle them all by myself. Um, nah. It's um, to try and get people's stories because I'm trying to do the book. I don't know if anyone's ever read as a book uh, called Out of the Frying Pan. It's about the Seville Derby, which is kind of like the inspiration behind doing the Dundee Derby one, but it's more mm-hmm. of a story of the two teams rather than just and how the Derby games have played an important role. Uh, so that's what the, the idea behind it is. And it's also, to be honest, trying to dismiss this rubbish idea of there being even an ounce of sectarian rivalry in, in Dundee mm-hmm. because it does my head in where the amount of people who don't know the history of United or Dundee realistically, try to bring up this crap. And it it's a plague that plagued Scottish football for 100 odd years. And it annoys, annoys me endlessly how people who aren't United or Dundee fans try to pull it up in, for Dundee. And it, it's ridiculous and it doesn't exist. And my book yeah. is going to prove I mean, this. <laughs> what, what sums it up is United are the, the, the Catholic club, I say with quotation marks, yet they wear orange. Like yeah, that exactly. sounds perfectly. It's it's not there. Aye. Trying to pull as it out and Stephen as well. But like we've alluded to, like during this podcast, like the two of you are like so respectful of each other's teams, which is kind of weird, but it's nice because we're all football fans at the end of the day. And like yeah. I, like the three of us, whoever are playing each other, will hate each other for ninety minutes, shouting probably whatever. But I'll, I'll be, be cursing at Jeff from like, aye. Stands, like, like maybe even like looking out for him and like giving him like the fingers. I'll be in but the shed. See it, but see it, but see at the end of the game, you'll probably be in the pub afterwards having a pint together and talk about the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's um, it's the way rivalry should be. I, I think it's really difficult for people to understand just how close it is. Like uh, my uh, English team, quote on Marks, is Aston Villa. I've been to a fair few Villa Birmingham derbies, and they are truly like you can't have the fans near each other. Like the police yeah. escorts shut off the entire roads and stuff, and like, I cannot. Have, like, explain to people how nice it is to be able to walk out the ground despite the fact we've despised each other's being for quite a wee while and you walk out the ground and you can walk next to each other and there's no no animosity between the two sets of you and yeah. I, I think it's not appreciated but equally the rivalry inside that ground 
is the same as any other derby you'll ever go to. Right, that's like, that's what's so great about it. Like the 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 hatred, the atmosphere, everything is generated in the football how it should be. Like you can take your well, gotta be sensible of like which stand your kids are in officer, but you can take your kids to the game <laughs> and not worry about something happening afterwards. Uh, you know, that's that's the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um but both of you as I say, pleasure getting you back on and you'll definitely be back on again in the future. We're hoping, as we were saying off air, to have a prior mid-season um, Premiership podcast with everyone that was on the Premiership preview. So, aye, a few months away, but should be good. But yeah, best of luck to both of you for Sunday. See what happens. Right, cheers guys. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Jeff. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.